Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and my employees and I want to thank you for your continued support by bringing you the biggest bath sale ever. Get my six-piece towel sets for the lowest price ever, only $39.96. His and her bathrobes, 50% off. Bath mats for as low as $17.49. And I'm also excited to announce the original My Slippers are back in stock. And now they come in even more colors and wide sizes. They're made with the same great patented technology. And yes, you'll still save $90 a pair. So get the biggest savings ever on bath sheets, bath mats, washcloths, hand towels, bathrobes, slippers, and so much more. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and get deep discounts on all MyPillow bath products, including our six-piece towel sets. Regular $89.98, now only $39.96. Get all your shopping in while quantities last, so please order now. It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no. Not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply. Refuse to show vaccine passports. Refuse to wear a mask. Refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now. Broadcasting live and live to Patriot Control of America. You're listening to the Patriot Party Podcast. Now on the show, the chair is against the wall. The muskrat jumps over the berm. I know why you're here, Neil. I know what you've been doing. I know why you hardly sleep. Why you live alone and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did. Yeah. 
fuckers to another edition of the Patriot Party Podcast. I'm the Mick, and with me, of course, is my much better beloved better half. Lynn. Hello, Patriots. And it's not the Patriot Party Podcast. It, it is would not. be it true, is true Spiracy. True Spiracy 30, what? 36. 36. 36. Yeah. There we go. And I caught up. I didn't tell y'all what we were gonna do with True Spiracy today because you elected to keep it secret. I did. Um because I was a little hesitant to do this episode. Um, I know a lot of you have watched my, well, our spiritual journey, but specifically my journey towards faith over the past year and a half that I, I didn't even know was possible. Uh, and I thought I had fulfilled that journey. I, I thought I had I had fully come into to my faith, and and uh, well, I didn't really think that. I I tried to make myself think that I had fully come into my faith, that there wasn't anything else that that I could I could achieve, that I could believe um, that was missing. And <laughs> once again, I I was punched in the face, kicked in the ass and, uh, and told that, um, I was still lacking as I think many of us are. Um, that's been resolved. I, I am no longer lacking in any way, shape or form. Says you. Uh, uh, yes. No. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Says you. So I mean, cause uh, honestly, who can we look to? What? Uh, yeah. Well, what, what? Ex- because, and you're absolutely right. Because like I, like I said, I, I had, tried to make myself believe that I was already there. And and obviously I wasn't. And, and am I now making myself believe that I have no further to go? No, I, I, I believe we always have further to go, but I was ignoring the elephant in my room as it were. Okay. Because when we started this journey and I've, I've told y'all that, um, my belief in God was, was a kind of a visceral thing. Like I, I believed in God as a, you know, as a, a, a great being that didn't really give a fuck about us. Honestly, a big kid with a yeah. anthill. Pretty much. Yeah. Magnified yeah. glass. Yes. And, and I was made to see, and, and I'm a tough nut to crack. I'm a stubborn bitch. Um, you, you, you gotta, you gotta show me. I'm like Missouri. Like you gotta show me for me to truly believe. I will entertain any possibility. I will certainly hold it in the back of my mind as a possibility, but unless I physically actually see it, I, I, I don't truly believe. And, uh, and that's, that's where I came. So of course, sounds like a doubting Thomas story. A little bit. If you, of course, y'all, y'all know that I've, I have most fully come to believe in God as he has had a, a direct impact on our lives and uh, changed it in ways that I am eternally grateful for, never believed it was possible. Um, and I, I believe the angels were a, a story, allegory, in, until I came to find that that was not true because they also have had a very direct impact on our lives. And, and the final part of that was Jesus. 
I was never really sure if Jesus was actually a man that walked the earth and and that hung on the cross for our sins, that truly died for us, sacrificed for us, um, or if he was another allegory, like I believe the angels to be. And now I can tell you absolutely 100% that uh, Jesus was a man and he did walk the earth and he did die on the cross for our sins and he will be returning. Um, and that's a, a, the culmination of my, my personal revelations this week. Whew. And, uh, it's kind of a big one because people always ask you, do you, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and savior? And, and you just say, yeah, of course, absolutely. Because that's what we're all trained to say. That's what we're all trained to believe. But do you truly believe it? Do you actually truly believe it. If you had the opportunity to speak to Jesus and for him to speak to you, would that make you believe that he was a real person? I'm just asking. Well, my question then becomes, um, what of the faithful? You know, you and I are the perfect example of that, actually, because your faith I don't have to see it. You've, you've never had to see it. Your faith is unwavering, unswerving. You are the most steadfast in your state and your faith of, of anyone. You, you were, you were born knowing that this was real and a part of our lives. And you, you never had to see it. You just knew I had to see it. Are more people like you or are more people like me? I don't know, but I think everybody has to come to it in their own way. I, I, I don't think a whole lot of people, actually, that's not true. I think everyone is born knowing that it's real. I think everyone is born with faith, but too many of us are raised and trained and indoctrinated from an early age to doubt what we know inside is really real. How do we overcome that? Well, I, I think the the biggest part of revelations and one of the things she was asking me on the way back when we were driving back from her friend's wedding today, she was asking me, she said, well, where, where, where should we start with this? I was like, well, let's try and start with where I think the most part, the biggest part of this that we all need to understand is first of all, revelations is not what we thought Revelations was. Revelations wasn't a book that was handed down from God and he bestowed it upon some human and said, hey, look, this is what's going to happen if you all fuck up. This is how you all end up in a whole lot of trouble. And I, I think the most important part of the book of Revelations is to realize that, first of all, the person who wrote the book of Revelations, which of, which of course is John, the, uh, John the Apostle. John the Apostle. Because there are numerous Johns in the Bible. There's there's a couple different ones. I mean, we did a little research on that today. But specifically, John the Apostle, who became John the Elder and was banished to the Isle of Patmos. That is the John we're referring to. And on the Isle of Patmos, while he was there, he also suffered, he was the first human being ever to suffer all three parts of the stigmata. He saw he was given in visions and in teachings from God, supposedly while he was on the island of Patmos, of how mankind was going to end. And coming off of the island of Patmos, uh, he no longer taught. 
his big thing going into that prior to the Isle of Patmos was that he was teaching. He was teaching about Jesus. He was teaching about scripture. He was teaching about uh, what he had learned, what he had seen, what he believed God was. And he saw a lot of people teaching it because there was, but there was also a whole lot of people that were coming after Christians. If you were a Christian at this time and you believed in God and you believed in Jesus Christ, people tried to kill you for it. John was one of them. John was the only one of all the disciples that did not die in a horrific way. He survived all three parts of the stigmata and he, sur- he survived him. He went through everything that Jesus went through on the Isle of Patmos after he was given the visions of revelations, which is really weird because there's not a whole lot of people that survive all three parts of the stigmata. Normally you die. You did. Well, no. Um, but it goes on. John, to understand what happened on the Isle of Patmos, he saw everybody in the world, again, believing in Christianity, just in his eyes, he said they were doing it wrong. Now you got to remember who John was. John used, was it 86 times he mentioned love in his book and his gospel? He mentioned love 23 times in his two other epithet readings and his other two small books, the uh, uh, before revelations, all the ones he wrote before revelations, all the letters in the Psalms. Book of John one, two and three. And John was the lover. He was the lover apostle. He was the one that was shown love. Jesus said he loved him most out of all of them other than Mary. But he said that John was number two. He was the most pure of soul. But before we get into that, I want to address this real quick. Um, Kiwi boy, Kiwi boy said, unfortunately, I disagree. Jesus didn't die on a cross for our sins. It's again, the story of the real son, not the son. I'm a Catholic that believe the whole story of the playbook, the creator is inside of us. We all creators. Religion was created to divide us all. I was with you a week ago. Now I respectfully disagree, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, And then CLB said, the church I grew up in, the pastor is studying studying revelations right now with the congregation. And that's excellent because as Cisco kid said, the Western church, very few teach from anything except the gospels. That's true. A lot of people, even some of the most faithful have never read revelations. The, their exposure to revelations is watching the movie, the omen, or um watching the seven signs yeah yeah exactly the seven signs or um or or even that the movie um hmm, well end of days or i mean there's so you know there's been tons of movie movies about revelations none of them are very accurate um you know it's it's hollywood drama there's little nuggets here and there but when you look at revelations especially in comparison to the rest of the books of the Bible. The rest of the books of the Bible are, are they're about Jesus and, and his life and his teachings and, well, and the New Testament. Revelations is about what's going to happen to us. Not what happened to them. It's about what's going to happen to us. Okay. It's about the future. And 
a lot of people get all hung up and they they're scared away from revelations, especially pastors and churches are scared away from revelations because they automatically interpret it as the end of time, the end of days. That's it. It's over. There's nothing else afterwards. And that is not true. And how do we know that's not true? Because it says it in revelations, but they don't read that far. So they read to the part that says you're a conspiracy theorist and then they're done. (laughs) And, and we, we often refer on the show to the remnant, the 144,000 and a lot of people bandy that number about and talk about the remnant. And that that's, that's why we named this specifically the remnant 144,000 strong and not revelations because this episode isn't just, we're not just going to sit here and read and dissect revelations. We're going to do some of that and we'll, we'll go into it, but specifically the 144,000, the remnant. A lot of people don't know what that is, what that consists of. There, there's a lot of disagreement, dispute, just debate about who the 144,000 will actually consist of. Will they only be Jews or can everybody participate? Um, how do you know that you're chosen? What do you have to do if you are one of the 144,000? What does that mean? What is your purpose? What are you supposed to accomplish? So that's a bit what we're going to get into today to start. Um, But first, before we start reading Revelations and getting into the 144,000, I found this excellent. It's, um, It's a trailer for a movie. It's a concept. It is a fan concept. And we often talk about how movies, documentaries, um, anything that's produced really is either a documentary or a prophecy. A lot of these things are divinely inspired. A lot of hero movies are, are honestly things that we're probably going to see here in the future, to be quite honest. Um, and, uh, but, but I think, and a lot of people have been having dreams, prophetic dreams, dreams from God, dreams about the 144,000. A lot of people have been uh, have been told that they've been chosen or that they're in selection because not everyone that's selected is necessarily chosen for the 144,000. Doesn't mean that you're going to burn in the fiery pits of hell. Um, it might just mean that you'll be raptured instead or or you have another purpose. Um, but uh, this this concept trailer, and it is, again, it is a fan concept trailer. It's, it's a lot of, you know, it's not actually the actors that you see in there and you can hear it from the, the audio from the voices. Cause it's not the real voices, but you'll see them in there. Um, but, uh, it, it really struck me. And I think you as well, when we watched it today as pretty close to what we see is coming. Could be. So let's start with this. Roman seal has been broken. The tomb is now open and the Nazarene is gone. What do you mean, gone? The savior of the world is here. There is a darkness over this city now that Nero's cruelties have worsened. 
that these followers of Christ were responsible for burning off the city to the ground. Such great persecution, why stay? We're the only light left in the city. Are you guys watching this? Moment, but the city is mostly burning. Look downtown, it's on fire, man. Check it out. Wait, can you hear me? You can't explain it right now. I'm gonna need your help. We're stupid enough to believe that people are just handing out fresh new lives here in America. Is your world good? Is it evil? What you see will be your choosing. The best option, our only option, is the chip. The chip. It's in the Bible. It's the mark of the beast. Here to break the mirror so you shall see on what side you stand. Can everyone here be trusted? Trust in God. So, I would love to see that movie made, but I fear we're actually going to... I don't think we're going to have to see it made. See it in reality. I'm not sure I agree with you on that one. Rather than see it on a, a big screen. Um, let's see, let's see. Bunny Rabbit said, there is no rapture. The tears get taken out. We are the wheat. We stay. Again, I have to disagree. So what I believe is going to happen. Um, and the way Revelations is read is is laid out is not necessarily in chronological order. The way it's written is not necessarily the way it's going to come. Extremes are funny like that. So imagine you were a man 2,000 years ago. And you're getting visions of what's going on today, literally in today's world or, or what's to come earthquakes and plagues and fire and technology that you have no concept of. And the only thing that you can try and do is explain it in a way that the people that are alive in your time that are reading it 
can possibly understand. It would make for almost seemingly gibberish in some ways. But if you read Revelations with that perspective in mind of someone from 2000 years ago trying to explain to people then what is going to happen today, and we looked at it from the perspective of today trying to be explained from someone 2000 years ago, makes a little bit more sense. So I can abide that would, I would think that if somebody saw like cars and they were 2000 years ago and they saw cars today, they'd be looking at it going, what is that box of metal? Or what is that? Why is that moving like that? How does that happen? Because mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to explain how a car uh, combustion engine works or how the car works to somebody. You'd be like, they, they don't even know. They just learned what fire was not even more than a couple of days ago. And they're just learning now that there's something above them that makes is more than them. You know, then to see a car, see a cell phone, an airplane, an airplane, something flying that a helicopter doesn't. Yeah, that would completely confuse them because mm -hmm. helicopters technically aren't supposed to fly. Exactly. They don't fly. Yeah. They beat the shit out of the air mm -hmm. to maintain lift. Mm -hmm. That's all they do. So you want, I, you, you want to read some revelations? You would be pretty crazy to think about what you're seeing and what you're hearing, but even applying it to, to no, let this guy tell it. Cause he does a better job than I do. <laughs> he really does. And he's got a cooler voice than I do. Uh, well, your voice is rough. Yeah. yeah you were yelling on Friday and it's, yeah. it's, it's been rough. It's ever been since. rough ever since. Um, Try not to do much talking right now. Sucking on a lot of holes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit of that. The lion of Judah who does uh excellent videos on revelations and yeah, if you've Apocry never seen it, Apoc Apocryphica. There you go. Apoc Apocryphica. Yeah. I can't even pronounce it. Okay. Revelation seven, one. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. If we look at the first verse in chapter 7 very closely, these angels are holding the four winds from blowing on the earth. What are these four winds? Let's look back in the Bible. The four winds represents God's judgment. We see in the Bible in his pledge to destroy Elam, God said in Jeremiah 49 verse 36, I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and I will scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. Like John, Daniel also saw in a vision the four winds of heaven. He states in Daniel 7.2, that they were stirring up the great sea, which meant Mediterranean Sea. So we see here in Revelation, during the four angels' delay, there is no wind that would arise to even shake a tree. There will be no wind to arise to even shake a tree because of these four angels. We see in Revelation chapter 5, when the Lamb took the scroll, with seven seals and the seals were being opened one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. In chapter six, we will see the kinds of creatures 
that came out of the seal as they were opened. After six of these seals were opened, that was when we are introduced to these four angels. If we follow the order of the Bible, another angel came through and told these four angels something that they must do in Revelation 7-2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So here the Bible paints to us a picture where another angel, where another angel flies from the east to these four angels to tell them something. Now the next logical question for us to ask is what did this angel, what did this fifth angel tell these four angels? Revelation 7.3 answers this. The fifth angel said, do not harm the earth the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. There is one thing this angel wants to do. He wants to give some set of people the seal of God. This set of people are the selected 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed one hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Revelation 7 verse 3 and 4 Now, that's important for a number of different reasons. It tells you a lot about what's to take place. It gives you a preparatory, if you will, uh, a, an incisor as to what's to take place when we actually enter this sea of, I, I guess you would call it trepidity, because we really don't know what's... Well, it's the little time of trouble. Yeah. So, um, the... I like I actually I like to watch a lot of uh, what's up prof I'll have to catch up here I'm a bit behind um and he's a, a seventh day adventist okay which uh is a strange religion in and of itself it is but they they do he specifically um uh Walter Spioth I think his last name is anyway um they they very much they read the Bible as, as if it, it, it is not allegory. It is literal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, which is how I like to look at it, especially in, in the, in the end times. Uh, so that, talk about the little time of trouble and the big time of trouble. And, and I actually just, I asked the other day, are, are we in the little time of trouble or are we in the big time of trouble? And I was told that the little time of trouble will go by in the blink of an eye. And you may not even know that, that we've already gone through that and, and progressed. Um, we're there now, I believe. But the, the ceiling of the 140, well, hold on, first off. So the four angels, 
the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? That they speak of in this, that the four angels are, that cannot harm the earth until the 144,000 are sealed. No, those are the four archangels. The four archangels. Who are they? Hmm? Who are those four archangels? Michael. Mm -hmm. Gabriel. Mm Mm-hmm. Ariel or um, Uriel, Uriel, mm-hmm. and um, uh, what's the U one? No, that's Uriel. No, um, the other one. Raphael. Yes. Not Samael. No, Samael is a normal angel. He's not an archangel. Not Samael is an archangel. No, he's a cast out <clears throat> normal angel. Oh wow! Thought to be uh, thought to be Lucifer. Everybody confuses but Samuel as Lucifer. He is not. not. Lucifer not Lucifer. Is, Lucifer was his own no. angel. Yes. He was an archangel no. and he was cast yes. out from but heaven. Samuel was an archangel. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the four that you see there, that that's the four that would rain destruction upon mankind. That mm-hmm. is the four that we talk about in the Gabriel, the Michael, seal. Uriel, and if Raphael. you've ever seen that painting, um, it's a picture of Jesus coming through on the horse, and behind him there's the the, the troops, so mm-hmm. to speak. And you have the angels that are on the horses that are flying above the troops. Those angels that are on those horses flying above the troops, those are the archangels. Those are the ones that are supposed to. They're the worst. They come here, they show up here on on earth. They will wipe us out because they hate us. They hate us because God selected them or us over them. And they despise us. They despise everything about us. They love us as beings of God, but they despise us because of where God placed us as in relevance to them. So because God treasures us over them. Correct. So the, these are the guys that they feel unappreciated. If they're called up, they're definitely going to come down here and stomp us like ants outside an ant farm, like the kid with a big magnifying glass. That's exactly what they're trying to do. That being said, God said, no, you can't destroy the earth yet. Why? Well, I have to secure my faithful. How are the faithful going to be marked? Well, they're going to be marked on your forehead which is a lot different than the mark of the beast. Everybody tells me, well, that's just another mark. It's a mark of the beast. No, it's not. It's not a tattoo. It's not a tattoo. It's not something you can see. It's not something most people will be able to see. The ones that need to see it will be able to see it. And then we're all going to, supposedly this 144,000 gathers at Mount Zion. And that is kind of the predecessor to everything that starts Revelations. When they gather and they're secure, God's made his decision about the 144,000 that will bear witness, not fight. Let's make sure we get this right. The 144,000 will not fight. There is nothing written in the Bible or any of the ancient texts that says that the 144,000 pick up arms and they go to war. No, they bear witness. They bear witness to God's almighty power and to tell mankind in the future Look, you piss him off. He can wipe you out in one fell swoop of his hand. And we're to repopulate the world, I guess, in his image. I mean, it doesn't really say. It doesn't go into what the 144,000 does other than witness God's massive might, I guess. The smiter of all smiteys. The 144,000 will, will not die. Nope. The 144,000 that are chosen... They're immune to what is coming, they, but they, they, I mean, they, uh, well, well don't, they don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, we'll suffer. We, we, we won't be living in, you know, 
joyous times. It won't be all, all, uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows and, and birthday cake every day. That's, that's, that's not what that is. Um, we'll, we'll suffer the tribulations of, of daily life in an extreme form that we probably can't even imagine right now, but we will survive. We won't, we won't be cast down by, by pestilence, by disease, by earthquakes, by rivers turned to blood. Or bugs or insects, yeah. swarms of insects or the death of cattle. That won't affect us. We but will what, we will, what we will see is we'll watch all of that happen. But part of that surviving, and, and it doesn't mean, like if you're chosen, well, first off, if you're chosen as one of the 144,000, it's because you've already made preparations to survive because you're not going to just rest on your laurels and think, oh, God's going to take care of me. And I'm just going to sit here and, and, you know, write down what happened and, and, you know, film it or, or go on a, a podcast and talk about it. No, you have to actively take part in your own survival. You can't just, you know, rest in your house and expect God to pour down manna from heaven for you to eat. Be prepared. Prepare now. He says that a lot in the Bible too. Yeah. He really does though. I mean, he says prepare every time. Think about it. You prepare for the coming of the, and and when we get around Christmas, we prepare for the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what Christmas, the whole season's about is the preparation for the coming of Christ. That's exactly what it was about. It was about what the wise men saw, what Everybody believed and everybody who believed in this story about Jesus, about this kid that is to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. Think about that crazy shit. Imagine being told you're one of the wise men in Egypt and in Egypt and you're out there and you own all this land. You have all these you have all these slaves. You're, you're this you're super rich. And all of a sudden, one day God comes down and tells you about this kid that's going to be born in, in Jerusalem. And now he wants you to make your way there that when this star hits this point in the sky, you will know it's your time. And all of a sudden you see the star and all of a sudden you start traveling with two other guys. They have no idea who they are, but you all believe the same way. What type of belief do we see that way today? Who believes that way today? Because you know what? I never, I don't hear about it. I don't hear about anybody just saying, you know what? I saw God and I believe and I'm dropping everything and I'm going to go wander in the desert for days on end on the Lord's whim. It's funny. I never hear of anybody saying that these days. Last time we heard about it, I think it was in the Bible a thousand years ago. Plus, holy shit. Doesn't happen anymore. Why not? People have lost their faith. Is that it? Or is it so far away now? We can't even get it back. Is there a chance to... Can you still fix hear it. God? Yeah. Yes. Is there a chance to fix it? Is there a way to turn the clock back if we're already in the big time of tribulation? No, no. no there's not, is it? No, no. No, God doesn't this, tell us that. This is the fix. There's, there's no... This is the fix to what is broken in our world. You can't just stick a Band-Aid on it. You can't just kick the can down the road. There's, there's no more road. This is the fix. I, uh, well, I, I can only pray that there is a fix. I mean, a whole lot of people wake up and realize, oh shit, we're really fucking this thing up. 
you know, I, you know what it's, it's on each individual person, honestly, every single person, every, everybody, I guess I suck on the hopium pipe a little too hard. Everybody has to look in their own hearts and you know, you don't even have to look in your own hearts because either you believe or you don't, either you have faith or you don't. And you can tell yourself that you do, but if you don't, God knows it. It's between you and the old man. Exactly. There's the, you can fool yourself all day long, but you cannot fool God. That's true. Give you that. Well, let's finish this because this isn't, this is pretty long. It is. The identity of the 144,000. Revelation 14, verse 1 to 3. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the hundred and forty-four thousand who were redeemed from the earth. In Revelation 7, verse 1 to 8, and 14, verse 1 to 5, the Apostle John described a specific group of 144,000 people. Many Christians say this is merely a large company of believers, and the number 144,000 has no special meaning. Others identify themselves as the group itself. But the words John used make it clear that not one of these options is valid. Now the message that the angel gives to these four angels is that they are not to damage the earth, sea or trees until the 144,000 have been sealed marked by the cross of Christ. The point of sealing a bond servant on their forehead was to make a statement about a person or make a mark of ownership. It was a mark put on cattle, slaves and any soldier who was considered to be a traitor. God's seal is certainly a protective sign of ownership. The seal signified that the one who was identified by the seal would not experience and was immune from the devastation of God's powerful judgment. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Ezekiel 9 verse 4. In this Old Testament verse in Ezekiel, we read about a mark being put on the forehead of people, and these will then be divinely protected. 
God tells a man in Ezekiel to go through the whole city and put a saving mark on all of his people who are sad and groaning over the wicked things being committed by the people. And they would be saved. However, if they do not have that mark, they will be completely destroyed. That is the illustration that God has for us regarding this. God knows people individually, even when He is pouring out judgments over the world. He knows those who hate sin, and He knows who love sin. He knows who love righteousness and hate all the evil that is happening in God's place of worship, and He knows those who love to do wicked and perverse deeds. God is in the business of putting saving marks on people so that they escape His judgment. Although the mark may not be visible to the world, it is visible to Him. When one believes on Jesus Christ, He is sealed with the saving mark of the Holy Spirit. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 In Exodus, God had Israel put a saving mark on the doorposts, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Exodus 12 verse 23 the smiter of all smiters, the smitey smiterness. He will smite you. You're absolutely right. Kiwi boy, it's funny that you said that. It's funny how they call the conspiracy theorists to look into everything on this. Uh, conspiracy theorists to look into everything else on this earth except religion and live in fear from what a book says and that this Jesus fellow didn't even write. You're absolutely right. 100% right. Is it a false idol? That's a great question. Is it? And that is a great question. Are we following a false idol? Are are we? I mean, that is how how do you how do you rectify that? How do you rectify your own belief? Uh, I'd like to believe no. Um, I don't know if we're following a false idol. That's a great question, though. You you can't prove that. What I can tell you is this book tells you a bunch of crazy shit, and it's probably the first conspiracy theorist written dream that everybody sat there and said, what do, you, what do you think the guys who wrote this book back in the day, what do you think they were told? Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. You believe that crazy shit, don't you? You believe some magical being is going to come down and destroy the earth, don't you? Or save you. Or save you. Yeah, better yet, save you. Mm -hmm. um, I got to tell you. I've seen enough in my life to say, all right, there is something above us and there's something below us. 
And there is good and evil in mankind. Out of every part of man, it doesn't matter how you are. It doesn't matter how you're raised. Some people are inherently good. Some people are inherently evil. And then there's people that can keep a lid on it, I guess, is the best way to put it. Because you have people that can be inherently evil. And... Um, but they exercise a monicum of self-control. Correct. So... What is it? What do we, what do you believe? I mean, we're talking about what we believe. I mean, what I believe, I believe that there is a God. I believe that there is a heaven. Mm -hmm. I believe that there is a hell. Mm -hmm. I believe that so is above is below. Um, for everything that's above is, is below as well. God will deal with us in his way. Um, if we really are his children, if we're not, if the other guys are right, if there's other and there's a couple different beliefs on revelations. It's really funny because we can't even as mankind decide on revelations. You have the belief in revelations that revelations, there'd be 144,000 of us saved. That's it. We're going to be saved. Boom. Done. Done. That's it. There is the belief that in the 144,000, that they are the ones that are um, in some beliefs, the 144,000, they're the ones that get taken off the planet and they basically die for mankind's sins. Or there's some belief that the 144,000 are aliens, star seeds. Going somewhere else. Going somewhere else. We hear everybody talk about this. Mm -hmm. What book out there, I, the, the way I look at this is we're all Christians, or most of us are. I mean, we all believe in Christianity in some form, one of its levels. There has to be some truth to this. We didn't write down history for no reason. We realized that there was a reason to write down history. These people started it. They started recording what actually took place in time. And they noticed that there was an importance to it. Obviously, they recorded the actions of what took place in this book. Now, granted, it's not great. It's not very, it's not very specific. And they talk about different times and different places. But where in this book is anything that we've been able to prove? So far, the only proof that I know of, of this book, of the Bible, so to speak, right now still lies on Mount Ararat, and we can't get to it because it's in the middle of Turkey, and you're not allowed to climb the mountain anymore because the Turkish government won't let you do it. But that's the only proof that this book exists, is the Ark of the Co The Ark is supposedly up there on top of Mount Ararat. That's where it came to rest. There is an object on top of Mount Ararat. They can't tell you what it is. They know it's not... It's not made from the earth. Mankind made it. How did a boat end up on top of a fucking mountain if there wasn't a flood? That's the only thing that I know of in the Bible that has come even close to something we've been able to prove. And if we can prove that, what's to say that this is not true? What's to say that there isn't an antichrist that's going to all of a sudden spring? And that's the big part. That's the one we haven't even gotten into is the antichrist. Because the antichrist, he will, they showed you in the movie. If you saw in the movie, you saw the guy standing in the, the reflecting pool of the Washington Monument. And he's standing there in the water. That was to show you that that's the antichrist. That's the idea of what the antichrist will do. He too will walk on water. He too will perform some of the the magic that jesus did when jesus walked the earth and he, and he too peace to the world he too will bring peace mm -hmm. he too will show mankind how to live in harmony 
However, and then, his harmony will be completely different because he is the son of Satan. He's not, it's not the way that we think of it, but at first it seems that good. And then all of a sudden it turns to shit. So I, I want, I want to address this real quick. Uh, uh, Johnny Ocasey said, uh, the followers of Jesus were originally the way they were persecuted. So they had to hide in catacombs at the time. Um, the Bible is clear that there will be in the end times, the antichrist who will be called the idol shepherd. Yes. The 144,000 were all Jewish male virgins. So that is not talking about the church or bride that I, that, that is a erroneous interpretation of what the 144,000 is. How do I know this? Well, because I, personally was told that I've been chosen as one of the 144,000 and I most definitely not a Jewish male virgin. So you mean you don't identify as it? I do not identify as a Jewish male virgin. What so, about unicorn farts? <laughs> no, it is Sunday. So there's a possibility. I do there. identify as a unicorn on Sunday. However, if you think about it, um, yeah, and Lindsay just said it. You're yeah, damn, damn not a virgin. Not a virgin. So, but if you if you think about it, it says the 144,000 will be chosen from the tribes of Israel. Okay, and actually from the descendants of Jacob. Okay, Jacob lived three, four, five, six thousand years ago. Six thousand, because we are we are at that six thousand mark, which is another reason that we know that we are coming into the end of times, because the Bible does give you a timeline and tells you that this is going to last six thousand years from beginning to end. If you do the math, so six thousand years ago, how many do you do you think that in six thousand years the descendants of Jacob are now only still in Israel? Jewish? Only identify as Jewish? Think about this. 6,000 years. And Jacob had many descendants. And everybody fuck it. You mean to tell me that everybody. they all stayed Jewish? Exactly. And that they are only located in Israel and there's only 144,000 of them? No. No. The descendants of Jacob are all over the earth. They are all religions, races, creeds, colors. Remember at the time there was only 13 tribes in Israel. So, you know, of the 13 tribes in Israel, Jacob was only a small portion of one of the tribes. Now, given, give it 2000 years time, multiply it by 2000 years. How many descendants has he had? I mean, think about yourself, think about your own life, you know, think about how many kids you had, you know, how many, uh, it was funny. Cause like I heard somebody, um, at the, the wedding we just got back from mm -hmm. somebody was talking about, it's just like, it was amazing just to think about how fast my family exploded in this country because he started, he just talked about like very, very simply is, you know, great, great grandparents that arrived here in the States. And he said, you know, his great, great grandparents were here alone for like four years before all of a sudden they had a family that was gigantic four years, four years by themselves. And they had a huge family. Yeah, it's true. If you think about it over generational, generationally speaking, 2000 years, you're talking, that's, I don't know, five, six hundred thousand relatives easy over 2000 years. I mean, we multiply like rabbits. Exactly. So shit. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta be. But everywhere. one of the other 
telltale features too was the decline of man is talked about in revelations too which is really funny because here just recently in the last couple months i've seen i don't know how many different things about how mankind we're not reproducing fast enough mm -hmm. we can't keep up our our, our current birth. stream our death rate is overtaking our birth rate and it has for a long time but now it's it, that's exploding exponentially um sparky said the the flood story first appeared ten thousand years ago before christ and was documented on the sumerian tablets that's correct. It's actually very true. That is the first flood story. The last flood story was the flood from the Bible with Noah and the ark. And at that time, God told Noah, this is the last time that I will flood the earth. He doesn't say this is the only time that I will flood the earth. He says this is the last time that I will flood the earth. All the way around. All the and, way around. I mean, we're not okay. talking about just a small no. little area. Yeah. We're talking the whole earth. He flooded so, the whole earth correct. and said... Here you go. So as far as the Christian Bible goes, that timeline is 6,000 years. There were flood stories before that. Most definitely there were floods before that. God had played a much more active role on this planet. Look at the Muslims. Previously, previous to the Bible. The started. Muslims do not track anything in history by date. None of their stuff is done by time. It's always done by major things that took place on the earth. They document their historical reference by what took place on the earth. So something huge, a flood happening of some sort would be re recorded in Muslim, in the annals of Muslim religion. There is a recorded flood in Muslim religion. And it happens to be about the same time as we can put together what was going on in the earth at the same time. It's about the same time as Noah and the Muslim religion records the same flood. Like I said, you don't have to believe in Christianity. I don't give a shit if you do. But one of the things that slapped me in the face very early on as a kid and then later as an adult is one of the things that I found that just so unique about the Bible. Jesus is mentioned everywhere. Jesus is mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. He's mentioned in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. He's mentioned in the Quran. He's mentioned all over the place. Everybody talks about Jesus. Nobody talks about Muhammad. Not the same way that we refer to Jesus. Nobody talks about, well, according to the Jews, their Messiah hasn't come yet. So, But they still reference Jesus. But they still reference Jesus, though. They still talk about Jesus as a Messiah. They just said he wasn't the Messiah. Because so, they're waiting for the second coming. That is their Messiah. Correct. So what is the big, why do I bring that up? Because there are certain things that happen in the Bible. There's certain things that they talk about in the Bible that also talk about in two other books that support the same story that's in the Bible. Yet any one of their books, either in the Jew Jewish side or on the Muslim side, we can't corroborate from the Bible. Yet we can always corroborate Jesus's story from the Quran or from the Old Testament, which I just find ridiculous. How is that possible unless Jesus is the one and true son of God? That's the only way my brain can rationally comprehend that. Why would you not be able? I mean, and I get it. You're right. The Muslims don't consider Jesus the prophet either. Yes, CLB. We've both read 
all of the other holy books from other religions. However, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. They acknowledge that Yahweh was a prophet. The Muslims, the Muslims were the first ones to use the word Yahweh. Yahweh was given to Jesus from the Muslims. Literally, Yahweh translated means son of God. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things to not believe in it and say, yeah, it doesn't exist or no, we're never going to see revelations or we're never going to see the end of times. But what if we do? What if we do? What would be wrong getting ready for it? Yeah, shouldn't you be prepared? Shouldn't you know what's going to happen? If this is the this is the longest running conspiracy theory of all time. This is the mother of conspiracy Seriously. theories. Seriously. This yes. is this, this is this the mother. Is the this started conspiracy every theory. conspiracy theory out there. Think about it. You all everybody believes in a god. I don't care what god you believe in as long as you believe in a higher power, you believe in something more than yourself. Which means immediately you're not selfish, nor are you self-servant because you believe you're serving a higher power. Would that not be correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas trap by all means, throw a wrench into this. We love it. Hey, we're all about conversation. Mm-hmm. But still, books doesn't mean they're useless. Correct. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. wrench, please. Yes, CLB said, ooh, wrench, please. Wrench us. Well, while he's typing that up, why don't you finish um, playing the the, the end of this? I think there's a little bit left here. In Revelation, during a time known as the Great Tribulation, to 144,000 chosen people, we read about a mark being put on the forehead of people and they would be saved. This is good news, because for those who are sealed, nothing can separate them from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Whenever God authorizes his wrath, those... Okay, hold on. Uh, Texas Trout has gotten back to us, so I thought I'd bring it up on the screen Mm -hmm. so everybody can read it. Here we go. In ancient religions... Mayan, Aztec, etc. They all reference a bearded man coming and teaching them new ideas, technology, medicine, how to better live with the world. Well, isn't that interesting? Okay. So ancient religion religions referred to. Mayan, Aztec, we're talking the second coming of Jesus. We're talking about 8,000 years before Jesus, roughly. Is that is that roughly the time frame, if I'm correct? Mm-hmm. Could it be um, that this has been played out over and over again, that we're merely a species with amnesia, as Graham Hancock states, that we simply forgot our past and are reliving this again and again? We have had this discussion, actually. actually. Had this had this same discussion. Mm-hmm. What are the possibilities to that? What it, what mm-hmm. are the possibilities about this being a broken watch? Have you ever heard that, that reference that life is a broken watch? It, think about it because what is the one part of, and I say this because there's one time that this actually doesn't matter and it's funny, but if you put, what is the one constant that I've always talked to you, talked to everybody about? I've said it's time, our normal constant time, time, is time. Time is our constant. Yes. You're, you're right. What if that could be different? What if time is what they showed? Maybe they were showed how to bend time. Have you ever have you ever thought that maybe the Aztecs and the Mayans were shown how to bend time and that's what they were trying to do? Maybe. Maybe they were trying to redirect time. I mean, we're so concerned on 
when the Aztecs and the Mayans actually existed in the world, yet we're very quick to dispel any of their bullshit concerning time and what their belief in time was and what their belief in their religion was. Yet they referred to a bearded man who came down and told them about how the future was going to be. Is that in reference to Jesus? Do they actually say his name? Do they use his name? Do the Mayans or the Aztecs ever use his name? I mean, just because I show up with a beard, does that mean I can tell the future? Did the Mayans and Aztecs traditionally wear beards? No. No, they were they were clean shaven. From everything we know, they were clean shaven. That was considered mm-hmm. the apocrypha, the 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 top. Be- because their prophecies told them that a bearded man would come and, and tell them and give them the future. So they They were, shaved their they face shaved their in preparatory faces. in preparation mm-hmm. for Jesus returning. So what's today then? What's with all the guys all the guys today that are walking around with beards? That's, that's a great question because Are we saying fuck you, Jesus? I think twenty years ago, thirty years ago, yeah, beards, beards were, were not popular. Were not popular. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to have a no. beard. If you had a beard, you were considered a mountain man. You mm-hmm. were living out in the woods on your own and nobody fucked with you. Yeah. Maybe that's what the beard is today. Maybe that's what it's supposed to be. They're like, hey, leave me the fuck alone. I live out in the woods. Maybe. Shut up. I got a bunch of guns. I'll kill you. Hmm. Graham Hancock's Netflix. We we were watching a little bit of that. That's kind of what started some of this. Mm-hmm. The Younger Dryas boundary in the archaeological timeline are roughly 12,000 years ago. Um, there was a great catastrophe that took place and a massive flood took place as well. Yes, and the Mayans talk about that. Or um, or they were, weren't the Dryas part of the Mayans or something like that? They were like under them or they were like the next one behind that. I'm not familiar with them. I don't know. Okay. And did you guys see the, uh, did you guys see that other one too with, uh, cause you guys are talking about this, the, the mound, the serpent mound. Did you guys see the, um, Josh, what the hell's that guy? He's on discovery. Um, he's that fat dude who's on discovery. He goes and he searches all this shit out, this crazy shit out. And like, he was down there, he found this Mayan. It was, uh, the most ancient, they found the most ancient Mayan city that existed right now. They're talking about like six BC is what they're finding dates of. I mean, we're talking, holy shit. We're talking like way, way, way back. And they found some city anyway. He was talking. Yes. We're clean shaven. Yep. There you go. That's where I got most of this from with the Mayans and thinking about that religion. They kept saying that there was a bearded man that will come again. And that was their way to keep that man. He would make himself known because he'd have a beard. and Nobody else did. And that's what they did. They shaved their face to make sure that nobody had a beard and that only that man would have it. And they would know who that was according to their uh, belief. Cisco kid, we'll get to Revelations 12, the woman and the dragon. That's actually my favorite part of Revelations. The scariest as well. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind you. Leanna, this isn't, we're not going to church. I'm just, we're talking about what the Bible says. If anything, we're trying to figure out. Dobie Tempe. Yeah. Are we talking about, are we going to make it or are we not going to make it? Yes. Thank you. And, uh, S Stern. Welcome from rural Alaska. Like it lives in a cabin in the woods with a bunch Holy of guns. Shit. Leave the fuck That's alone. what I'm talking about. Hell yeah. Well, cold Keep up there it up, for dude. me, but it's okay. All right. Um, I'll tell you what. War beards. Yes, war beards. Fucking war beards. Finish this. Why don't you play the clip of, um, since we're talking about the Bible and its relevance and and what it means, why don't you play the clip of Jordan Peterson real quick? I think we're about done with this. I mean. Well, it's almost done. There's more, but that's okay. It's uh, actually the last one. Yeah. 
And skip forward through the douchebag that starts that, you know, it might actually start where he starts. No, I think it starts where he starts. Okay. But real quick, this was Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan's show. Just think about what he says. That's all I'm asking. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't close your mind off to it. Don't turn your head off because it's religion and oh shit, Christians hate us. No, I want, just listen to what he has to say. I think this is really interesting. And this is something that's been not really bugging me, but it's kind of cool. Many of you have heard yeah, no, about the forward. recent skip, yeah, episode skip, skip, skip. of Joe Rogan's pod culture. I don't give a fuck about that, student. Yeah. You all share structure. Secular liberalism is waning and why a new post-secular age is rising. If categories dis- 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 dissolve, especially fundamental ones, the culture is dissolving because the culture is a structure of category. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Right. So, and in fact, culture is a stra- culture is a structure of category that we all share so we see things the same way well that's why we can talk i mean not exactly the same way because then we'd have nothing to talk about but roughly speaking we have a bedrock of agreement Uh, that's the bible by the way so i just walked through the museum of the bible in washington that was very cool. It's a very cool museum. So the structure, that's what the Bible Yeah, that's what provides. I figured out. I've been, I just figured this out this week. So it was a cool, it was a cool thing to walk through because it's, it's chronological. They have one floor, which is the history of the Bible. Mm. But it's not exactly that. It's really what it is, is the history of the book. Now, in many ways, the first book was the Bible. I mean, literally, because at one point there was only one book, like, as far as our Western culture is concerned, there was one book. And for a while, literally, there was only one book. And that book was the Bible. And then before it was the Bible, it was, a, you know, it was scrolls and it was writings on papyrus. And, but it was, we were starting to aggregate written text together. And it went through all sorts of technological transformations. And then it became books that everybody could buy, the book everybody could buy. And the first one of those was the Bible. And then it became all sorts of books that everybody could buy. But all those books in some sense, emerged out of that underlying book. And that book itself, the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. It's a collection of books. And so, what I figured out was, partly because I was talking to my brother-in-law, Jim Keller, who's the world's greatest chip designer and has now designed a chip that's as powerful as the human brain, which is optimized for artificial intelligence learning, by the way. And so, I talked to him about that. He said, you heard of the internet? I said, yeah, Jim, I've heard of the internet. He said, this is way more revolutionary than that. So, in any case, we were talking about meaning in text because we were talking about translation and the problem of understanding text. And Jim said, the meaning of words is coded in the relationship of the words to one another. And the postmodernists make that case that all meaning is derived from the relationship between words. That's wrong because... Well, what about rage? That's not words. And what about moving your hand? That's not words. So it's wrong, but but part of it's right because the meaning we derive from the verbal domain is encoded in the relationship between words. So, so now then you think, well, let's think about the relationship between words. Well, some words are dependent on other words. Some ideas are dependent on other ideas. The more ideas are dependent on a given idea, the more fundamental that idea is. That's a definition of fundamental. So now imagine you have an aggregation of texts in a civilization. You say, which are the fundamental texts? And the answer is, 
the texts upon which most other texts depend. And so you'd put Shakespeare way in there in English because so many texts are dependent on Shakespeare's literary revelations. And Milton would be in that category, and Dante would be in that category, at least in translation. Fundamental authors, part of the Western canon, not because of the arbitrary dictates of power, but because those texts influenced more other texts. And then you think about that as a hierarchy, okay, with the Bible at its base, which is certainly the case. Now imagine that's the entire corpus of, ling of linguistic production, all things considered. Now, how do you understand that? Like, literally, how do you understand that? The answer is, you sample it by reading and listening to stories and listening to people talk. You sample that whole domain. You build a low-resolution representation of that in your inside you. And then you listen and see through that. And so it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of true. And I think this is, I think this is not only literally the case, factually, I think it can't be any other way. It's the only way we can solve the problem of perception. And that is accurate the perception of truth based on one book. Think about it. If you boil everything back down to one book, what book is it? The Bible. It's gotta be. It's always. What other book is there? That's, I mean, until, until the Rockefellers changed our education system, people learned to read by reading the Bible. And all education came from the Bible. And, and I know Kiwi, Kiwi boy was talking here as well about the Bible um, being a uh, sun and harvest season and things like that. Yep. We had, um, what's his name on? Mm, I'm drawing a blank right now, but but talking about the, uh, the seasons and the, when yeah. harvesting per, mm -hmm. yeah, because yeah. he was, he's crazy. He was talking about time and it was, well, and that may wasn't be our better, one of our better however, interviews, but however, be that as it may, we can, both be right. It kind of like it's kind of like the Q post. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Q is Jesus, and I'm not saying that the Q posts are like the Bible. But in a way, because we always talk about how there's many different interpretations of the Q posts, and there are many different interpretations of biblical mm -hmm. prophecy as well, well. But and they but they they don't they don't cancel each other out. It's there's not only one truth in the Q posts. Yes, does the did the Bible tell people how to when to plant, uh, when the seasons were coming, you know, how to prepare yeah, the whole for, liturgical, for their life. The whole liturgical Absolutely. season is based on the planting 100%. season. Yes, most definitely. Is the Bible an almanac? Most definitely. But it was also the first one that mankind ever had a chance to use. Is it also the story of both our creation and our future? Yes. They can both be true. It can be both an almanac to tell people how and when to live the most efficiently and successful lives and also be the story of our past, present, and future and also be the way that we connect with God if we're not always... 
the way that we can hear God, if we don't have, if we haven't figured out the ability, how to hear him inside ourselves yet. What's that? Reading the Bible. Oh, okay. The Bible itself, the yes. word of God. Not everybody can hear God. Whether, whether it's because they've, they've blocked it out. They, they don't, they don't understand that that voice inside is, is God. Um, or they're disconnected from the source or they just don't listen. Not everybody can hear God, but everybody can read the Bible. And eventually hearing God would be the outset of the reading the Bible. So yes. if you read the Bible, you're going to hear, oh, I don't know if I believe in that, but. But what I'm saying there is, is to there an extent, are, yes, it's there an has. Onion. There are multiple layers to the Bible. There are, there are many parts to the story. It's not just one thing. Don't put it in a box. Touche. We don't. Try not to. No. I don't. I don't know about you all. Fuck yeah. Ellsworth's got the snakes. Mm. Watch out for the snakes. They're bad. All right. I think. Mm. What's this one? The Apostle of Love. Mm. Okay. I got oh, that oh, nickname oh, All right. for two reasons. So, okay. This is good. This is I, I know, but I, I want to preface this a little bit because when... When we were researching this um, this morning and figuring out what clips we were going to play on our three-hour drive home today, uh, Mick said, before we dig into this, we have to talk about who John was, who actually wrote Revelations, who was John. Um, so we found this, this great, it's called the eyewitness series, and it's told from the perspective of John in the first person and it's very well done. So I just wanted to preface this a little bit before we just jump into it to let you know what you're watching. This, this is, this is really cool. I, mm -hmm. I, I like this because it gives you that. Why can't, why because you have your microphone off. Oh, that's a good reason. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, why can't I hear myself? Anyway, this is good because it does give that perspective from John's perspective of what he thought about what he was doing and what he was saying. And a lot of it was considered taboo. And it it was. There was a lot of it that was considered taboo. It was actually quite scary for him to open his mouth. But you get to hear that in this first person type of look at it. I did write the books known as the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and all have the themes of love in them. But it wasn't all sicky sweet because Revelation, a book hardly known for being lovey-dovey, but I wrote that one too. And I was referred to as the one Jesus loved. John the Apostle was possibly the closest friend Jesus had among all the Apostles. So close that upon his death, Jesus entrusted his very own mother, Mary, to the Apostle John. Even though I am one of the more famous Apostles, I am only credited with saying three things in the entire books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. My brother James and I asked if the Lord wanted us to destroy the Samaritan village. Another time, James and I asked to sit at Jesus' side in his glory. Well, those were two pretty dumb things to say. 
and the third isn't much better. The only time I'm credited with solely speaking a sentence is when I told Jesus, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Now, if you remember, Jesus chastised me saying, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. So even though it wasn't so complimentary, I do appreciate Luke remembering to tell that little story about me. Now, please don't think I'm feeling sorry for myself. Everybody knew I was in the inner circle of the apostles, along with Peter, Andrew, and James. And like I said, I was referred to as the one Jesus loved. So everybody knew I was the teacher's pet. What I didn't understand was, Jesus was training me for a purpose. Three of them, actually. How about a preview of those purposes so that you can better understand some of the other stories I'm going to tell? Now, the first of my special purposes was to take care of Jesus' mother. According to tradition, I took care of Mary for several decades. You probably would not be surprised if she gave me some special information for my own books that she didn't even share with our dear Dr. Luke. Now, the second was to live a very long time and be a specific eyewitness and encouragement for the churches, especially as they suffered through persecutions by the Jews and later by the Romans. In fact, during the persecution by the emperor Domitian, I was exiled to the island of Patmos, where I wrote Revelation. Now, some people believe that I lived to nearly 100 years old and was the only one of the apostles to die a natural death. The third of my special purposes was to write the books I already mentioned, Matthew, Mark and Luke did a wonderful job of telling the story of Jesus from a factual viewpoint, but the world needed to have a better understanding of how God and Jesus are loving, not just sovereign. I was uniquely gifted to tell the story from that viewpoint. It was all pretty rosy in the early days of following Jesus. We hung around the lake where we had grown up. Jesus did miracles and healings, and, and he taught in a way that no one had ever heard. It was amazing, and it was fun. At the beginning, Jesus treated us with the kid gloves we needed, spoon-fed us for our teachings, and explained it to us, and even protected us from the mean kids on the block. Then he kicked it into high gear. We were walking along the road when three wannabe followers came to be with us. Now, up to this time, Jesus had gladly accepted people who wanted to be with him. This time he asked for specific and immediate commitments from them. The first decided to leave when Jesus told him 
we were homeless. The second and third made excuses about needing to be with their families. So we apostles just looked at each other and remembered that when Jesus called us, we left everything immediately. We understood that Jesus' comment about the three men was meant for us every bit as much as it was meant for them. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Well, then he kicked it into an even higher gear. Jesus took us, the apostles, and all the other committed disciples and sent us out in Paris to go ahead to where he would be teaching. Now that in itself wasn't a big deal, but Jesus wanted to make sure we were going to be in his power and authority, not in our own. We were specifically instructed not to take any money or even any extra clothes with us. We were to go directly to our places of appointment without even talking to anyone on the way. And when we got to those places, we were to find one house to stay in. We were to teach and heal the sick and to prepare them to receive Jesus and his teachings. Those who accepted us were accepting him and those who rejected us were rejecting him. So needless to say, most of us were a little wary about the assignment. It's one thing to say, be healed, but it's another thing entirely when they actually are. It's one thing to hear a preacher preach, but another thing entirely to do it yourself. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew that we were prepared to act under his authority. So when we returned, we could not have been more excited to continue our ministry with him. Our common response to Jesus from the trip was, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. From that, we got a glimpse of how hard it was to keep focused on God and his kingdom because pride was continually raising its ugly head. This was the time when Jesus began to reveal to us the magnitude of what we were involved with. He began to reveal to us how he really was the Messiah and the Son of God, and that what we were seeing was the fulfillment of everything we had ever been taught. Frankly, it was so crazy that we could only grasp a smidgen of what he was telling us. And it wouldn't be until we had the Holy Spirit spirit that we began to truly understand. We had so many simple pleasures during those early days. Just imagine what fish and bread tastes like when it's created 
out of nothing right in front of you. Imagine sleeping under the stars and listening to Jesus call some of them by the real names. So one of the things I like about this is this part right here. Okay. Think about, you know, one of the things when I was a kid, I always thought about like, you know, when I, I grew up, obviously I grew up Catholic. You all know that nothing new there. Right. Mm -hmm. But I grew up Catholic and I always wondered, I was always sat there. I'd hear these stories about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I would sit here and I would ask myself, like trying to believe it. Like I remember being a kid going, there's no way that is not true. Impossible. But I, I, I look back, I look back at this and I always, always say this one part right here where he's talking about some of the crazy shit that the apostles saw Jesus do. Could you imagine trying to be an apostle back then, trying to convince somebody like me that I saw this guy do this crazy shit where he walked on water? Or all of a sudden, our nets were full of fish. After our first cast, first cast, we're pulling out more fish out of this sea than we can absolutely possibly eat. How would you, if you were in the, their shoes, how would you tell that story? Yeah, Sparky Boy flipping tables. Think about it. And you they weren't, saw they weren't Jesus, card tables. You saw Jesus Christ pissed off. He was so angry, he walked up to a stone table that, according to them, weighed more than, was it, 60 cubits. 60 cubits back then. We're, we're almost talking about a ton. Yeah. Roughly a, a ton. A, 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 literally. A, a, a ton a, of a ton stone. A ton of stone. And Jesus walked up and flipped, flipped the it motherfucker like it was a, fucking card like it table. Was a feather. He didn't even pay it any other attention. Just think about trying to explain that story. And now think about what he's about to talk about. Because he's about to go through all the mysteries that he saw that he can't explain. That as a fucking disciple of Jesus Christ, the only thing they had to believe in was God. The only way that Jesus was doing this was through God. That's a hell of a wake-up call to anybody. I don't give a shit who you are. But when they did this part, I thought this was the best part because it was so cool how he acted like he was so amazed by all this wondrous things he saw. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw him raise the dead. Who does that? Who the fuck does that? And how do you teach that? How do you echo that how do you say that that people are going to believe you and i think it's fucking crazy and and in the last 2000 years people have continued to do that in jesus's name have yeah. healed the sick by literally putting um praying medic praying medic is a, a big name in this community yep. in the patriot community and praying medic is he is a medic and he is known for laying his hands on people in the ambulance as they're going to the hospital and saying, God, please heal this person. Jesus, I am calling on you to heal this person. And they pull up to the hospital in the ambulance and this person who was almost dead gets out of the ambulance and walks away. Just saying, it's out there. It happens today. 
It's been happening for 2,000 years, but only in Jesus's name. Yeah. Weird. It's nobody else's. We don't do it in Muhammad's. We don't do it in, you don't hear about anybody else's name being brought forward. I hear of non-believers all the time saying, well, I saw a guy who was saved by a guy. What did he look like? Uh, he's about six feet. He had a beard. Um, he was wearing like weird white clothes. I've heard that. I don't know how many times over and over again. How many times do you have to hear that before you finally believe that yeah, maybe this is, maybe this is real. Maybe we're not, maybe we're wrong. Maybe for once, maybe we should listen to what people say instead of just hearing it. But, but, well, but real quick before, because I, I want everyone to listen to, to what Latanya Keel had to say here um, because okay. she's one of the chosen we've, we've spoken um, before. The father speaks and we must listen because if we don't, he can get very persistent. That is so true. Try as you may not to listen. He always pushes us into the way. So true. Let it be. But this is my favorite part. Or for you, fishermen in the crowd, can you imagine catching a net full of fish in one throw when all of your previous casts came up totally empty? Or the simplest of all pleasures? When Jesus looked you in the eye and just smiled. My favorite, hearing Jesus sing. Once a Jewish teacher was trying to test the Lord by asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Any answer Jesus made was bound to get him in trouble with the Pharisees who were self-appointed guardians of eternal life or the Sadducees who did not even believe in the resurrection. So, rather than give his opinion or ask for that of the teacher, Jesus simply asked him to say what was in the law of Moses. The man chose two scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. In agreement, Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Rather than leaving after a good experience or even asking what Jesus meant about you will live, the teacher sought to justify himself by asking, and who is my neighbor? When he said that, we just looked at each other and smiled. We, we knew he was about to drink some eternal life water from a fire hose. Jesus began a story by setting it up in a familiar setting. He said, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and was attacked by robbers. They stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. At that point, the teacher looked at Jesus as if he was being treated as a schoolchild. And everybody knew it was a dangerous road that should never be traveled alone. And everybody knew you were fortunate if robbers didn't kill you. So he was probably expecting Jesus to 
criticize the man for being stupid. Jesus continued his story by saying that a Jewish priest saw the man, but he passed by on the other side. And likewise, the Levites did the same thing. At that point, the teacher was starting to smell a trap, but he couldn't exactly tell what it was. Surely the priests and the Levites should have passed by because they would have become unclean if they had touched the man and wouldn't have been able to participate in worship services. Now, surely the worship of God was more important than helping a stupid man. At the least, if they had stopped, the robbers might have attacked them. So the teacher nodded for Jesus to continue. Now, he wasn't expecting the next twist in the story. A Samaritan came upon the man and took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds and gave him medicine. He put the man on his donkey and took him to the inn where he paid for the man's care until he could recover. Then Jesus asked the teacher which of those three travelers was the man's neighbor. Well, the teacher was in a complete bind. Hmm. It was obvious that the Samaritan was the hero of the story, but the teacher had been taught to hate Samaritans because of their ethnic background. He couldn't even bear to say the word Samaritan, so he just replied, the one who had mercy on him. So instead of justifying himself, he had opened up the possibility that eternal life came through mercy, not through being a Jew. Jesus. Okay. And that's, there's there's something there's that, something really important there. What he just said. Yeah. Eternal life comes through mercy, not from being a Jew. Correct. Okay. Think about that statement that he just made. Right. In today's society, we would we would consider that very anti-Semitic. Yep. Given the connotation. Correct. Okay. Because you're talking about Jews, you're specifically talking about a specific type of people, a mm -hmm. sect of people who have very strict religious laws that govern their daily behavior, every aspect of their daily lives. And this is what I think a lot of people don't understand, both in relation to, to Jesus's story, to Jesus's parable, um, as well as how we perceive Jews today and how they were perceived back then, how that has continued on for 2000 years, that negative connotation that was in his voice then has persisted for 2000 years. And I think a lot of it is, is misconception. It's not misconception on our part, misconception on the part of the Jews. It is a way of thinking. It is, a, it is, it is what we have been trying to get through to them. What Jesus was trying to get through to them 2000 years, right? That your worship of God, you're following these very strict laws is not actually worshiping God. Worshiping God is taking care of 
God's people worshiping God. The best way to worship God is to help that beaten man on the side of the road, because that beaten man on the side of the road is one of God's children. God created him and he loves that man, that beaten downtrodden man on the side of the road a hell of a lot more than he loves your restrictive rules. And that's what people don't understand. That's what the Jews didn't understand. That humanity, that love is so much more important than your stupid rules. Well, I think that's the point of the story. Yes. Yes. But in the parable, yes. People don't get it. Well, a lot of people don't. But anyway, keep going. That was the part of the story. Now that I'm done on my rant. Looked at him and simply said, go and do likewise. Well, the teacher most certainly heard something he didn't want to hear. Instead of being justified by following the rules, he now found himself under the obligations of love. That teacher got a taste of what we had been experiencing nearly every day. God was interested in loving us and having us love other people. He was not so much interested in our following the rules as having us love people. Some of Jesus' best friends were the siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who lived in the town of Bethany, just a few miles from Jerusalem. One time, we dropped by unexpectedly. You can only begin to imagine the whirlwind of activity that began as they extended the expected hospitality to us. Well, Jesus sat on a small bench while the 12 of us sat in a circle around him. And we heard the whoosh of a robe and we saw Mary sit down at his feet to listen to him. I can still see her intense eyes looking up at his face in rapt attention and total love. I envied her ability to shut out the world around her and focus her love and attention on Jesus. Well, it wasn't long before we heard the swoosh of other robes, and Martha stood there. She broke into the conversation. Don't you care that my sister has me doing all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Well, maybe you felt like that before. Doing what you're supposed to do, feeling taken advantage of, because there are others too lazy to do their part. Surely Jesus is obliged to set things right. Instead, Jesus tried to adjust Martha's values. Martha, you are upset over unimportant things, while only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and I won't take it away from her. Martha needed to change, and her feelings of being taken advantage of would fall away. Distracted by unimportant things. Oh, sound familiar? Well, you may not have had the distractions we had. You've come up with distractions all your own. They seem important. I mean, you can't live without them. Martha was definitely focused on how the world functioned at the time. The trick is to see through it all. The distractions that ping and buzz and blast from a screen to vie for importance 
to see what is valuable and choose it instead. That's what love does. It focuses. You want to kick it into high gear? I think you know exactly what to do. Take it from me, the one Jesus loved. Choose love. I think that is something that is just we've overlooked as people. Love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we were driving home today and um we're in we're in the woods of South Carolina, like up in the hills, and uh it was beautiful, beautiful area. Very it was very gorgeous. Very similar to the area that we grew up in, up in New England, actually. Uh, very reminiscent of that. You'd be amazed. I didn't think there were that many hills in South Carolina, to be <laughs> yes. honest with you. Well, we've stuck to the coast for the last two decades. Holy but anyway, shit, there's a lot of hills. In yes. But um, as we're driving down the road, you know, and it's, it's, it's red country. And, and I saw a sign and it said, love first. And I was like, oh, that's nice. I like that. And then we drive a little further and I see another one and then another one and another one. They have a love first movement going in this small town in the middle of South Carolina. Signs all over the town. Love first. I like it. And it wasn't attached to, you know, in this house, we believe blah, 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 blah. No, it was just, it was a hand painted sign. Like someone had, had taken a piece of wood and just painted it on a sign. Love first. And they did it all over. We need more of that. We need more of love first. Just saying. Anyway. What do I know? Um, <clears throat> so we, uh, I think we need to get to something else first. Because yeah. I want to do it. So. All right. We're, we'll do a little early trivia. Yeah, we are. Where is it? It's Sunday. It is Sunday. We can do an early trivia. True that. I don't know what you do with it. It's right there. And um, to that end, Kiwi had said before that uh, he wished Justin could be here to, to, to see how this was all playing out. Are you talking about he's still here? He is still here. He's watching us every day. He's laughing at us. <laughs> he is. He's laughing at all of us and yet i i firmly believe that we will see him again before this is over i i think he will be resurrected as one of the the martyred saints to return riding behind jesus when his, when jesus returns riding the white horse of death purity life whatever you want to call the white horse I, I, I personally think Justin will be with him. That's my belief. And a happy medium. I, uh, I like your comments in here. Um, Reiki master. That's fascinating. I'd actually love to have you come on here and, and, uh, talk about it sometime. What's that? Scroll up a bit. A happy medium 65 was saying them. So I'm not only religious. I actually thought I was going crazy, but I say God or whatever you believe is inside us. Once you learn and start to understand, you question things and become a rebel. Go up further. 
Where am I going? Oh, right here. Um, yeah, I used to say it's all crap when I was young, but now I'm a psychic medium and Reiki master life coach, etc. And I totally believe that we can heal. We all can. If I can open up to this, others can. We just need to wake up. Absolutely. I, I, um, I, 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 hey, healer, whatever. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get into that. I, 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 I would I would like to have a discussion about. I, I like um, I like people who come from unorthodox mm-hmm. ways to the almost. It's weird because you got a guy. He just said that he was a he's a Reiki Reiki, uh, a Reiki master life coach. Yep. He is, but he didn't start that way. He started doing something else. So he learned this through something as an adult. He learned this in a life experience. Something taught him. And I love to hear those stories because yeah. I love to hear how people, for instance, my story is this. It's simple. I was sitting in a shitter in Iraq and a mortar round hit right behind me. There were holes all through the shitters. Every shitter had a hole in it, including mine. Okay. The guy next to me died. I had a hole directly where my spine should have been in the shitter that I was at and there's nothing, nothing hit me. I was perfectly fine. I walked away. Yeah. I had some shit in my pants because when you hear a mortar round land like that, you kind of jump and run at the same time. And normally whatever you're doing at that time kind of continues. So if you're on the shitter taking a dump and the captain's log is coming out and a mortar (laughs) round hits, the captain's log kind of comes with you for a bit. (laughs) All right. So yeah, I had some shit in my pants, but I was perfectly fine. I didn't have a hole in my body, nothing. Yet the guy right next to me and the shitter sitting right next to me was deader than a doornail. So you can say that's a wake up call. You can say whatever you want to call about that. For me, it was, it told me that there was definitely, I was not meant to go. It was not my time. But at that time, it also showed me that, hey, look, what I'm doing here is not right either because there's something else that I'm not doing that I should be doing because how do you kill someone else and leave me alive? You have a purpose. And you how did find I out what it not is. die? That's what woke me up. That's what, honestly, if you, you want to know what set me down my religious path to see that type of indiscriminate ability to keep one thing alive and take another thing. I I literally sat there and said, random carnage. What's the difference between me and him? Why did you take him and not me? But it is a wake up call. That's exactly what it was. And that's what sparked this thought that maybe just maybe, and then go fucking figure not even six months after that fact, After that incident happened, not even, it was three months. Three months after that happened, the lights were turned out on me. And I was asleep. So again, where do you stop saying that you're lucky and you start saying that, hey, there's so many times that I've been lucky and I've died so many times and I've been brought back to life. I have to ask the question, where do you stop saying that you're lucky And you start saying there's something more divine guiding what you're doing. Z Patriot is asking you a very profound question. Something that I have asked you on numerous occasions. Okay. 
Mick, forgiveness is something many overlook in those circumstances. Why are you struggling with this concept? How does, all right. So good. I'm glad. Finally, you get to see it from my point of view. All right. So what is God? How does God de define his disciples or his people? It's faithful. The faithful, right? Mm -hmm. Does it mention which way is faithful and which way isn't faithful? Does it tell you which is the right way and which is the wrong way? No. No, it doesn't. No. You have to discern that on your own, mm -hmm. right? So what happens when you go kill a whole bunch of holy people and you think that, hey, maybe what I'm doing here is right. Maybe what I'm doing here is wrong. See, my problem isn't so much about what I did. My problem is the behest at which I did it at. That is my problem. So you, to understand where my anger is, I wasn't commanded by God to go do something. I was commanded by another man to go do something. I was commanded by another man to go end another man's life because they were doing something that another man believed was wrong. Not God. No, another man. So forgiveness being forgiveness is divine to only those who deserve it, right? That's what God tells us in the Bible. Yet when I think about it, um, cause it's divine, right? Is it not? Is, is forgiveness not a divine, right? No, it is. No, it is. It most certainly is. It is a divine, right? It is a divine, right? For those who ask for who it. ask for it. Correct. But it's not just given to you indiscriminately. You have to ask for it. Correct. My point is this. How do you ask for something that you openly wholeheartedly knew that what you were being told to do was wrong? Do you understand now? Do you regret it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Every minute of my being. Okay. So you regret it. You understand that you made a mistake. Then the the next step, the only other step left is to forgive yourself and ask God to forgive you. That's where you're hung up. You're hung up on forgiving yourself. You cannot forgive yourself. Or God hasn't forgiven me yet. One of the two. God won't forgive you. God has already forgiven you, but God <sighs> won't tell you that until you ask. Well, yeah, fucktard. Maybe I'm afraid to hear the answer. Well, maybe. Did you ever think about that? Tell me something. How many other guys actually? You're not looked, afraid of anything. Hey, is this gun loaded? And then stared at it while a barrel's pointing at him. Oh yeah, it's unloaded. No, I never said that. It's always loaded. Any gun that's given to me is loaded. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's mm -hmm. that same type argument. You can argue both sides of it. Mm -hmm. You'll figure out your own forgiveness. Everybody will. I'll figure figure out mine one day. Okay. I will. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doubting. Maybe it. I won't go to the doctor tomorrow because I'm scared to find the answer to the question. Well, that's why you didn't go on Friday. <laughs> so, so wait, Liana. <laughs> remember, this is why she did not go on Friday because she did not want to hear that she was because it was her best friend's wedding <laughs> and she wanted to drink. I wanted. I had one glass of wine. Give me a fucking break. Just saying. Just saying. Wouldn't you rather know than live in limbo forever for eternity? I'm not going to live in limbo for eternity. Mm -hmm. Nor will anybody else. It, God will decide your fate. Everybody does. God will decide everybody's fate. And if you don't ask for forgiveness? 
Or if you do ask for forgiveness, do you think that will make a a difference in God's decision on your fate? I hope. Well, then maybe you should ask. Cover all your bases, just in case. Maybe I already have. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't I? That's a dumb thing. (laughs) Exactly. It's like like insurance. You know, you get insurance for shit. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. For instance, like in the in the military. Like, for instance, if we when, go to when a we bu- got when if, we got married and and he got me a and gave you know he got me a, a nice diamond ring and, and he got insurance on it, but he only took out the policy for seven years because he was hedging his bets and he didn't think we'd last that long. And you know what happened? Ten I, years in, I lost that diamond and that bitch wasn't insured anymore. Well, that was fine. We fixed that. <laughs> yeah, then you had to big me a buy me a bigger one. Well, that was worth it. <laughs> Because you were around past the seven year mark. <clears throat> hey, hey, what's wrong with hedging your bets? Why, why, why is that a bad thing? Tell me something. Did you not hedge your bets with anything else you've ever done in your life? You mean you've never hedged your bets? Like when you were going to college or when you were applying to colleges, did you ever hedge your bets about which college you were going to get into? No. What about anything else in your whole entire life? No, I go in all full forward, all in uh, all or nothing. Or what's the fucking point? Well, you're now you're now you're playing to my fucking <laughs> now you're playing to my cackles. You can't do that. That's not cool. I'm still Anything here, worth doing I? is worth overdoing. I, I, I got I'm you. I'm still here, aren't I? After 18 years. Touche. Touche. Uh-huh. If I had hedged my bets, I'd have walked out that door a long time ago. But nope, it's all or nothing. Uh, or what's la- the fucking point? Last before I leave, where are you going there, Jay Laff? Oh, Jay Laff's got to go work. In the sense of um, going to the pearly gates, not anytime soon, Jay, I hope. I don't, uh, God judges you. I believe you judge yourself because no one can be the stricter critic of yourself than you when you're honest and faced with the truth. True. Everybody, I'll give you that. Everybody is their own worst critic, most definitely. That. Spank or that ass maybe they, you make. I will, or, I will, or should be. Should Everybody should be their own worst critic because then they hold themselves to account. Unfortunately, I think that's fallen down the wayside a bit. True. But anyway. I think there is something to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Pastor held me underwater in baptism for over a minute to get me back. Really? I had Jesus now because I had no certainty I would live to be a man. The pastor had to hold me underwater. Live to be a and, teen. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I prayed to Jesus. Hey, to John and I that's awesome. I feel it. Yeah. Feel this spirit help me. Okay. I think that's big. Mm, yes. Fear is like the ballast of a hot air balloon. That's, that's a pretty deep way of putting it. Please go deeper on that one, Ellsworth. Please. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to dig, dig deep. All right. Um, go, go ahead and, and, and play this, this next, this next clip. This guy looks Going like Vincent to, Price. Uh, this is, I believe, um, what I believe this is, uh, are, are we, are we in, are we in revelations? Are we in the end of times? This guy right here looks like Vincent Price. Okay. I'm just saying. Anyway. This was a vampire movie. I'd be like, holy shit, we're fucked. So Dr. Youssef, a lot of questions for you today about the end times. You have a new book coming out called Is the End Near? What Jesus Told Us About the Last Days. And I have to tell you, this could not be a more pertinent topic right now. People are looking at the world around us and they're wondering, are the end times upon us? What would you say to those people? Well, certainly the question is, is it near? And the answer is yes. And one of the things that I chose to do, and I, I look, I've been around for a long time. I have seen end time preaching and predictions. Um, 
I even remember the day when people thought Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist, Gorbachev was the Antichrist because of that mark on his forehead. The guy's dead now. But uh, I wanted to go to the words of Jesus and not try to kind of uh, put together, stitch a, a, a theory or an argument or a point of view from Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. I wanted to see what the Lord Jesus himself said and really dig in deep because they asked him that question. The disciples did right on the Mount of Olives. It's called the Olivet Discourse for a reason. It's because they were sitting on the Mount of Olives looking across the temple and they said, well, tell us when. When is the time? When the nearness of your end? They assumed that all of the prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, all of them are going to happen at the same time. Of course, he was born of a virgin and so forth from Isaiah, and then he was going to be the suffering servant also from Isaiah, but then he'll be the Christ of power. And he's trying to explain to them that there's a first, second, and there's a second, first coming, and there's a second coming. And so he goes on to talk about two particular events, Matthew 24, 25. All of your uh, viewers and listeners can check me out on this. I always tell people to do that because I like to stick to the Word of God rather than my own opinion. And so in Matthew 24, he talks about two events. He talks about uh, on that day, which talking about the fall of Jerusalem, when Jerusalem was raised and was the prophecy was fulfilled with meticulous details in um, 70 AD. But then he goes on to talk about in those days and talk about the time of the nearness or closeness to the end of time. And he talks about a pregnant woman. He talks about birthing of a baby. And he gives the illustration of the fact that, yes, earthquakes and false prophets and wars and so on, they've been around for a long time. But when you think of birth, I'm grateful to have 11 grandchildren, we think of baby's birth is that uh, when labor pains started, and these are, you know, the, the things that he talks about are the labor pains. They were, have always been with us. He said, but when you see them coming at closer and closer intervals, then you know that the happy occasion is about to take place. And you know that the baby is about to be born. And so I took those passages, six labor pains, I apply them to our world today and show how the rapidity and the, and, the, and the shortness of intervals between their happenings is a clear indication that our Lord could be around the corner. You know, it's interesting because one of the debates that people will have, obviously outside of the church, but also in the church, is that the world is going to get better. People will say things are going to improve. You know, we're going to march toward this arena. And again, you have that in the secular side, everything they're doing to try to make the world better and more inclusive. And then you have the Christian side, again, having that debate. What do you say to those who would argue that based on what you see Jesus telling us? Yeah. Well, you know, you have to understand. The, the 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 people outside of the church, the, the pagan culture. Now, there are Baal worshippers. They're worshiping Mother Earth. They're worshiping the sun and the star and the moon. They are people who are into that. That's their God. And therefore, they feel it's responsibility to protect their God. Now, the other th on the other hand, you get the Muslim extremists who say 
that we kill infidels because we are revenging for our God. Uh, but our God does not need anyone to defend him or protect him or, or to uh, take vengeance on his behalf. He gave us the blueprint. He said that I'm coming back. No, no, no matter what happened, he said, I'm coming back, and these are the evidence. They're going to be signs in the, in the sky. They're going to be uh, 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 celestial uh, uh, ac activities. There's going to be fallout from the faith. This is not atheists, you know, or agnostics. I'm talking about people in the church. And, and how many times are we hearing every day of preachers even and singers going through deconstruction? They're falling away from the faith, and they're falling away all over the world in Europe. And, and Real quick, think about what this guy's saying. Just think about, apply it to our world today. He, 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 he doesn't do a very good job of it. I'll give him that. But one of the things he does talk about, and something that I think we can apply, think about it. How many pastors out there shut their church down due to COVID? Oh, most of them. Most of them did. And the yeah. ones that didn't got arrested. Yeah. What does that tell you? Is that not one of the signs of the end of times? Hmm? Is that not one of the things that we are told not to do? Don't close the churches down. Don't do that. Because what you're doing is separating mankind from God. Did you know that churches, the architecture and the older churches, but e even inside churches, the acoustics, um, the organs, the frequencies that's that are played on the organs, the architecture in those churches are specifically designed as healing frequencies. That's why when you go to church, when you go sit inside church, whether you go in for a sermon or not, just go into church, Some just go sit. If there's a cathedral or a basilica or something like that near you, and um, they'll have uh, they'll have an, an open session. Doesn't matter what religion you are, where they're rehearsing. The the choir will be rehearsing. Go sit in there and listen to the music. And when you come out, I guarantee you that you'll feel better than you'll when feel you walk better. in. If you had pain, it'll be gone. You'll feel you'll feel lighter. You'll feel better physically. You'll feel better mentally and spiritually as well. But your body physically will feel better. When they closed down the churches, they did that because it is harmful to you, because they were trying to pull you away from God. And we've had this discussion many a times that what's going on now, <clears throat> we talk about how, are we in the end times? Yes, I believe we are in the little time of trouble and, and very quickly going into the big time of trouble um, as predicted, foretold in Revelations. Is this something that God did because that time is here, or is this something that the the evil cabal that's ruling the world has brought about because they're trying to change it? It doesn't matter. The point is moved. I would beg to argue, but you're right. And because the God argument, knows all. The argument is, yeah, exactly, and that would because, be my point, exactly. is that God knows all, God does yes. all. The, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's almighty. And because you can argue it, that if it is the, the evil cabal that is facilitating this, well, God knew that they were going to do it, and he 
they were always supposed to start it. Well, it's always been planned. Exactly. The prophecies have been it's out there. It's always, always been, been planned. It's always been scripted. Something that we've known is going to happen. It's going to happen. It's just scripted. It's a matter of time. It's when. I mean, look at how they talk about all of the stories from the woman and the dragon to the first beast to the 144,000. One of the biggest things they talk about, the only thing that echoes through time in amongst books, because the 144,000 is also mentioned in the Quran, as well as, well, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament, as, um, but it is in the New Testament, and it's also in the Quran, that the 144,000 are the ones that will be spared from God and his judgment. Because they've already been judged. Correct. That's the reason. Because they're being judged right now. If you go into their uh, end of time stories within the Muslim belief and their belief at the end of the world, they talk about 144,000. Tell me something. Why would Muslims speak of 144,000 Christians unless those 144,000 Christians survived what they were going through? Maybe the Muslims were like, hey, maybe we should do the same thing like these guys are doing. What the fuck's wrong with us? What the hell are we doing? Yeah, just saying. History's not written about the losers. No, it's always written by the winners. So gotta ask the question. Why? Why 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 do we talk? Why is there there's reference to the 144,000 in two different religions? There's reference to Jesus in all three of the religions. So far, if you look at the numbers alone, forget Judaism and forget Muslim. We right now Christians are killing it. They cover a span in time that both religions talk about. So we can't act like it never happened. It happened. Even the Muslims accept the fact that Jesus was brought up as a holy man in front of the Christians and as their son of God. Even the Muslims believe he was crucified for the Christian sins. So wait a minute, if all of that is believed by Muslims, why do us Christians have a problem believing it? Because we've been pulled away from our own faith. Deliberately. Just saying, he, he, this guy, he's got it. Anyway. Yeah, he might be going. a doctor, but he's got it. He's a pastor and an author. And uh, everywhere. He's also a doctor. He's also a doctor. And uh, these are two of the many signs. Of course, he said... This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the end of the earth as a testimony for all nations, and then the end will come. And so these are the things, the signs that he gave us. And he tells us about the coming of this. Uh, by the way, most people really think the Antichrist, and if, if they thought Hitler or Mussolini like they did in the past, <laughs> he's going to be charming. He's going to be so attractive that people said, wow, we want to follow this guy. And they will blindly follow him. And if COVID-19 taught us anything, they showed us how authoritarianism can rise to the forefront in Western civilization, Western democracy so fast, and that people are willing to comply. And so this is a, a kind of a dry run. This is the rehearsal of the coming of that charming individual, the Bible called the Antichrist, Satan's own emissary, who will try to persuade the world to believe in him and follow him. But Jesus said again and again in Matthew 25 and 24, those who are faithful to the end, they will be saved. Why do you think 
even the Antichrist, I mean, all of these topics, right? They are they are so combustible in some Christian circles because people take so many different positions on these things. Why do you think the Antichrist is one of those positions where some people say, oh, there isn't going to be one singular Antichrist? You know, I think I think what you just detailed is the is the majority view um, right now in the church. But what what do you think you know creates that division? Well, it's in the scripture, you see, in the epistles of John. John talks about many antichrists. And so those who do know the scripture and will read that passage, uh, they would say, oh, you see, there are many antichrists. Of course, there are many antichrists with a small a. Anybody who opposes Christ's claim to be the way, the truth, and the only giver of eternal life is an antichrist with a small a. You see, anyone who opposes the gospel is an antichrist. And so there are many antichrists. But then the Bible talks about this one particular individual um, that he's going to rise and he's going to dominate. And that's not just one or two passages. That's throughout the Scripture, Old and New Testament. And so uh, I, I, I never argue with people. I said, okay, you know, whatever you want is fine. I'm just telling you <laughs> what I understood from the Scripture. Why create an argument? Why get into fights over details of which we're not really very clear, uh, but we know the certain guidelines stay with them. But the most important thing, the most important thing, is that for the believers, if they really are genuinely waiting for the return of Christ, the one thing you must never do is put on some white robes and head for the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> but rather work diligently. I work literally 16, 17 hours a day. Well, minus all that part, because I don't agree with what he's about to say there about work. Live diligently. Live diligently. Let's let's stop talking about work. Live diligently. When I say live diligently, I mean live your life. With integrity. We are all meant to live a life, no matter how you believe it, no matter where, what faith you believe, no matter, I don't give a fuck your religion. I don't care whether you believe in Jesus or not. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, it is kind of what we're talking about. Yes, we are very Christian based because I am a Catholic. She is a lapsed Catholic, very lapsed. Um, however, we are very Christian based, but and, whatever and your I, religion and I, is. And I truly hope, real quick, I, I honestly, one of my, my deepest hopes is that me us sharing our spiritual journey over the past year and y'all watching me come into my faith i i truly hope that our journey has inspired at least one person out there to come into their own faith honestly if if our journey just if what we've gone through, if what we've learned, if what we've talked about has just brought one person to Jesus in the past year and a half, it's worth it. By far. If it, if it turns one person onto the religion, then it's successful. I don't give a and, fuck what it does. And by religion, we don't mean going to church every I'm just Sunday talking God. and, and giving tithes to, to God. the Catholic Church. No, it means if it has helped you to develop a personal relationship with God and with Jesus, then it's all worth it. I you don't do that in church. I actually you do that inside. I actually argue the fact that there's 
one there i used to say that there was one religion that knew all like for instance i used to believe for the longest time and and certain ways i still do believe because the vatican is good at doing certain shit but i believe the vatican inside the vatican somewhere there is the truth the truth that they don't want you to see for instance why are all the biblical archive mysteries in the vatican because they're not all catholic not all of those biblical archived mysteries are catholic mysteries they're not some of them are jewish some of them are even before christianity the book of enoch so why do we hide them in catholicism why catholicism and i asked myself as a catholic that for years and i'm sure most most catholics have asked the same question why do we hide why do we hide it? Why the Vatican? I'm sure the Vatican has something. They're hiding something from us that says that, hey, this is the one religion. Why do I say that? Because if mankind knew there was one religion that was right over all of them, what would mankind do? What would you do? How would you act? Everybody would be quick to get on board with that one religion, would you not? everybody be like oh shit i gotta get straight with uh buddha or i gotta get straight with uh what whatever god whatever correct religion there is there would be a bunch of wannabes bunch of um almost i would say fakers that yeah. all of a sudden decide that one day Gatriots. hey bingo patriots which reminds me, Sparky Boy, I need to... Oh, wait, we got that episode from you, I think. All right, and we listened to a no, little no, bit no, of No, 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 I don't... He didn't... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Did, he, did you not respond to us yet? I have, No, I think he did. I haven't looked. Okay. Because we were at the wedding. All right. Anyway, Gatriots. Yes, essentially Gatriots. What we're looking at is Gatriots. People that are looking for money out of what we're doing. No. No, that's not what this is. I think the Vatican knows something. I, I don't think they're telling us. And I think it's all bullshit. And that's my take on it. As a Catholic, uh, I, I do believe we're at some form of the end of times. There's no way that you can mistake any of the comments or any of the things that you've seen happen. We have so much going on right now. There is there's shit that people aren't even paying attention to because we're putting something else more important in front of that. Look what's going on around the world. I, I look at the upheaval. Um, you look what's going on in China, Russia, you name any one of those countries. And the upheaval that's happening there, is that done because of man? Or is that because of God? I mean, what are we seeing right now? And I mean, everybody says there's a war in Ukraine. Yeah, it's really funny there's so a lot of Ukrainian people I've talked to that say, yeah, there's no war in my country. What do you mean there's no war in your country? All we hear about is this war in Ukraine. How about the missile in Poland that's covered in grass? Yeah, that's over two years old. Has anybody heard about that? That's the missile that supposedly hit. How is it covered in living grass? Uh, yeah, there's not an answer for that one. Yes, this is the one that took off from Ukraine, landed in Poland, supposedly killed two people. 
they showed a picture of it this morning. I don't know if you all saw this yet. Did you all see that yet? Did you see the picture? It's, it's, it's covered in grass. The missile is in the ground covered in grass. There's, there's, no, there's no dirt. There's, there's nothing. no nothing. No, it's been there's just, there for a hot minute. It, it's been there for a number of years. <laughs> so tell me one more time, who's lying to who? Because last week we heard about a missile that was fired from Russia that was almost plunged us into World War III. We almost, we went to, I think we're close to going to DEFCON 2 mm -hmm. the other night. Mm -hmm. Okay. And war is yet uh, massive. And uh, they were talking in here about, um, someone was saying they've been hearing that this is the end of time since 1967. And they've been hearing this is the end of time since World War One, honestly, because World War is one of the predictors of the end times. Well, the red, the red horse, the, when mm -hmm. the red, when the seal is broken and the red horse steps forward, comes forth with it, war. No man will live in peace. No man can live in peace. The beast will destroy all. War is the beast of the first four. The, what you're talking about is the first bulls. There's four bulls, total seven, but the first four are the most incredulous because they talk about basically the four horsemen. And there is a belief that the four horsemen come before the plagues. Now, I've heard that. Now, I've also heard biblical scholars say that, no, that's not actually the case. The four horsemen come as the plagues come because they're to echo the plague. I, I, I don't know what's true. I'm not going to tell you what's true. I'm not going to tell you what's false. All I'm going to say is I believe this. The four horsemen, when they show up, we're fucked. That means that time is done. We, we don't have a time to save it. Once you unleash the four horsemen, the four winds of the earth are open for everybody. At that point, God can fuck with us as he sees fit. And maybe, maybe we are in tribulation. Maybe we are in great tribulation. Maybe we're not part of the remnant. Maybe that's why we can't see into that. Maybe that's why we can't see past that. Well, you're not, but I am. Well, you even even said you can't see past that. No, I can see past it. That's not what you told me. Yes, well. Liar. Things have changed. Liar. Psst. Not what you told me. Well, I was literally just told last Thursday. I don't know. Why are you telling me? Thursday. Yeah, it was Thursday. It was, it was Thursday when you got spirit raped again, wasn't it? I don't know. I, I quit. I, I'm I'm so tired of it. I just quit keeping check. I, rape victims don't talk about it very often. <laughs> we really don't. We keep our mouths shut and we sit in the corner color. There's a lot of rape victims that just don't talk right. about it. Well, the other the other the other major sign that revelations is upon, upon us. us is the witnesses the birth of the two witnesses? The two witnesses. Yes. Spirit as covered. Thank yes, you, Captain yes, Super Aids, because I'm going to end covered. up with Spirit, Captain Super Aids. You're absolutely right. Okay. So let's let's look at the two the two witnesses. Who the two witnesses are? What do you know about the two witnesses story? That's that's yeah. another one that a lot of people have never paid a lot of attention to. If you know about this story, you're going to know. It. Life of Brian, you actually said something up here that I want to get into really quick before we get into the two witnesses because this actually goes in concert with what you said. I want to bring this up. 
Oh, where is it? Look for it. Look for it. Look for it. Oh, there it is. Okay, so. Life of Brian, 2040. We have about 17 years till the event. And uh, of course, Liana said she'd be 67 years old, which means I'd be 64, which fuck, I hope I'm not that old when that no, happens. It's not 2040, though. It's. But. Uh, it's, it's Georgians need to move to high ground by then. Do you like Colorado? Life of Brian, are we talking about a flood? Is that what you're discussing? Just wondering. Just for shits and giggles, because I, I just wondered if you heard something that I heard. We might have the same argument. I would have to say that Colorado would be a good place to go. Anything close to the Rockies would be a good place to go. Mm. I've heard that too. Okay. Heading west is what I've been told over oh, and over well. again. Weird. Hoover Dam is about to break. I think there was enough water behind it. The two witnesses. A description of two people who will assist in carrying out the work that God has for them to do during the time of the tribulation can be found in Revelation 11, 3 to 12. And I will grant you authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, 42 months, three and one half years, dressed in sackcloth. These witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands which stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Revelations 11, 3-5, Amplified Bible. At the end, there will be two witnesses who will prophesy in the city of Jerusalem. The verse reads, my two witnesses. The nature of their ministry is prophetic, as evidenced by the fact that they will prophesy. They preach and display repentance as seen by their wearing sackcloth, and they have an effective ministry, as we read, I will give power. The two witnesses indeed serve with power. Such power, in fact, that they can witness for 1,260 days despite the world's antagonism. We also read, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. God has given the two witnesses special protection, similar to Elijah. All of the nouns used to refer to the witnesses in this passage are masculine in ancient Greek grammar. The two witnesses are two men. The two witnesses in the book of Revelation will have miraculous powers to accompany their message, and no one will be able to stop them in their work. Revelations 11.6 Amplified Bible These two witnesses have the power from God to shut up the sky so that no rain will fall during the days of their prophesying regarding judgment and salvation. And they have power over the waters, seas, rivers, to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. The two witnesses will have miraculous power, but they will be killed when their testimony is concluded. The wicked world will rejoice, allowing the bodies of the fallen prophet to lie in the streets. Revelation 11, 7-10, Amplified Bible 
When they have finished their testimony and given their evidence, the beast that comes up out of the abyss, bottomless pit, will wage war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie exposed in the open street of the great city Jerusalem, which in a spiritual sense is called by the symbolic and allegorical names of Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those non-believers who live on the earth will gloat. Okay, so think about something for a second. It's the Amplified Bible, by well, the way. Yeah. It's just, it's the Bible that they're using for the story. That's it. That's all that is. What, whenever, when this was written, think about the story, right? The witnesses are going to preach in Jerusalem for 42 months and, and they, they won't be able to be, to be touched or killed. Not that they won't be attacked. They will be, but they won't be harmed until their time is up 42 days. And think about that. Think about if something like that happened now, right? Say it could happen next week. Two random dudes just show up in Jerusalem and they start preaching. They start preaching the end times. And someone takes a video of them and it goes viral. And they're still preaching. And someone else takes a video of them and it goes viral again. And now more and more people are coming to see them and making videos and they're all over social media and they got their own fucking YouTube channel or YouTube kicks them off and they get their own rumble channel, right? Different people will go just, just to get content. They'll, they'll go to Jerusalem and they'll, you know, we'll be, we'll be playing their clips on here of these guys preaching in Jerusalem, these two crazy witnesses. And then, and they call themselves, as and such. they call themselves witnesses. They're, they're, they're witnesses to what happens. And then one day, somehow they get killed, they get killed, they get shot, shot rings out, kills them or something comes up from, from the evil beast. The Israelis come and inject them and they die. Who knows? And they lay there for three days and the whole world watches. Now, 2000 years ago, how would it be possible for the whole world to watch them lay dead in the street for three days, for three days? It wouldn't be. But today, today on social media, Very possible. with live streaming, with a YouTube channel, with content creators playing clips with viral videos. Very possible for that all to remain eyes up would for be three on days. there on yep. them for three days. All eyes will be on them for, three, for days. three days. And the entire world will see them be resurrected. And maybe, maybe even some people will hear. Maybe you'll catch it on a live stream. You'll hear a voice, a disembodied voice say, come up here. And they'll get up. They will stand up on live air. Is it something like maybe, because um, I know there's a lot of things that's been said about this and we all are like, oh, what voices? How could there be a voice? And I think you had it. Um, I, I do. I'm pretty sure. Did you download it? Yeah, I thought I did. Uh, no, look at the other one. I thought you did. This one? Or that? Mm, no. That's the one we're on. This one? Uh, 
weird. I thought I could have sworn I downloaded that one. Hold on. We'll we'll get to that. No, because that is I know, exactly I know, what, I really, what you're going I, into. I really want to play that too. So hold on, let me because that's really important. Let me find it because we might just have to download it real quick because I swore I put it in there, but maybe not. Um, maybe it's in the file, possibly. No. Yeah, right here. Here it is. Why is everyone googling yep, the Euphrates? Yep, yep, okay. Yep. Yeah, you that's sure it. did. You just didn't open it. Okay, it didn't open. Right. There we go. So I'll open it now. It's over here. No, it's not. It's over here. It's right here. Okay. All right. Oh, no. So, yeah. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So let me play this for you because this is craziness. And yeah. You, and we've we've played this audio before, but I actually, I really like what this guy has to say yeah, as well. Yeah, I do too. So um, listen, listen to, to this. This is craziness. This is the Euphrates River in 2020. And this is the Euphrates River, now. So, why is this the most searched term for Christians right now? And what on earth is this bizarre discovery that locals have found on the riverbed? Well, strap on your seatbelts, because I'm about to take you on a very bumpy ride. Over 2,000 years ago, the Bible predicted that this vast river, 1,700 miles long and 1.7 miles wide, would totally go bone dry. And when this happens, something dreadful, something terrible is going to happen. The Bible says, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Or in other translations, the way of the kings of the rising of the sun might be prepared. Did you catch that? The Bible says that when this natural barrier, when the Euphrates dries up, an army, the kings of the rising of the sun, will begin marching. Now, I'm not going to tell you which country I think it is, just in case I'm wrong, but let me give you a clue. Which country is from the east, and which country, as I read this Bible verse, here's the big clue, which country has the manpower to source an army this large? The Bible says, now the number of the army of the horseman was 200 million. In a moment's time, I'm going to show you this unforgettable footage of the Euphrates. But first, you need to know what is so special about this river. The Euphrates River was actually the boundary to the Garden of Eden. The Euphrates River was also the boundary that was given to Abraham when he was proportioned an amount of land by the Lord. And the Euphrates River is the area where Nimrod founded the religion of Babylon, where that Tower of Babel was built as an affront against the Most High God. So remember this, the Euphrates River is located in an area where many of the key events of the Bible have taken place. And the Bible says that when these waters are scorched, an army of 200 million will begin marching from the east. Now, just think about... So let me put some prefaces on this, all right? Because this guy is getting into something that I thought I initially was a part of. Mm-hmm. But we were not an army of 2 million. 200 million. We weren't. We weren't even an army of 100 million. We weren't even an army of 480,000. Total numbers of our army on ground with the biggest number of U.S. concentration didn't even topple 350,000 at one given time. At either surge, either in Iraq or Afghanistan. 
350,000 soldiers total, American soldiers, were on the ground at those times. So think about that. We're talking 200 million. You're talking almost a third of the Earth's population alone is the army that's going to stand up. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't heard that yet. Nor have we felt it. Throwing it out there. Now this for a moment. John the Apostle, who penned these words, when he was writing down about this prophecy that would happen, there wasn't even 200 million people on all of the face of the earth. And yet, the atheist tells me today that the Bible is only relevant for the people back then. Thousands of years on, the Bible has no relevance to us. Will you explain that to me? Mr. Atheist. But just when you thought this prophecy could not get any more terrifying, listen to this. The Bible says, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Don, that is a great question. UN, she asked Two simple letters over on Pilled. U-N. That's it. Those two letters, U-N. Blue helmets. Is there a possibility that the U-N has 200 million troops? Okay, well, let me let me let me put out a, a hypothetical scenario. Put us in the corner real quick. Okay. <clears throat> so say 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 Jesus. Does come well, back. Fuck it. I'll just make us full screen okay. right now. So say Jesus, say Jesus does come back, right? And most of the world now doesn't really believe. Honestly. I mean, they 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 might believe in Jesus as I did two weeks ago, as a as a visceral, as a story, as a thing, as a as as a lesson, as a parable. Um but they people don't actually believe that Jesus is going to show up in the sky riding a giant white horse with a fiery pillar behind him right well, so hold on no hold on hold on especially world leaders don't believe that rational think hold on no 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 or so they would like us to believe hold on okay so they would like us to believe right rational thinking people don't believe things like that normies don't believe things like that so if all of a sudden suddenly of all one morning you wake up and there is a giant thing in the sky coming right towards us like a fucking alien invasion what are you gonna do you're going to amass all of the armies on earth to try and combat that where you think it's going to land. Maybe headed towards the Middle East. You get 200 million soldiers from all of the armies on earth because what's going to bring everybody together? Nothing would bring this planet together like an alien invasion. That for the first time 
humanity would see would be humans. United. We would see humans as mm-hmm. humans. Exactly. We would say, you are me yep. and I am you, yep. no matter what color you Independence are. Independence Day style. Blue, brown, green, gray. It doesn't fucking matter. You're a human. I'm a human. I can trust you. You can trust mm-hmm. me. Yep. But this, this, this thing up in the sky that is obviously not of our earth, that's a threat. That's something that we need to unite against. So tell me something. In this, but in, in your hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Would Time that out. not stop, bring stop, together an army stop, of two hundred million? That's stop. what I'm saying. No, what what you're saying actually scares me even more. Because think about this. All right, Be, now you're jumping ahead in Revelations. Now we're actually closer to the end than further from the end mm-hmm. by what you just said. Mm-hmm. Because. Think about this. Did we not just have that happen? Did we not just have the all-encompassing enemy who was supposed to take forth and destroy mankind all at once? Was it not in COVID? Did we not just see the same things? Did we not see our own brethren lash out against us? How dare you? How dare you question the science of Lord Anthony Fauci? Did we not see the golden calf in Anthony Fauci? Did mm-hmm. we not see end times the prophecy? False idols. In false idols. Mm-hmm. In belief of, oh, well, the science says. The science trumps God. We ju- we talked to Dr. Fleming about just because they, they're, they're kids playing with tinker toys trying to be better than God. And is that not the same thing that Revelations talks about? It is. Is that not the same thing that... Have we not said the mark of the beast is the jab? It's all related. It's all tied together. It is happening now. We're we're in it or we're not. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather believe we're in it because at least when we're in it, we know that there's an end. If we're not in it, then we're fucked. Oh, yeah. Because it hasn't started yet, which means this pain is something we're to endure for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with Lens. I'm I'm going teen alien. I'm not taking chances if it's Jesus. What's that? <laughs> I'm going teen alien. I'm not taking chances if it's Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Elvis has been dead for what, 45 years, and there are conflicting recipes about peanut butter and banana sandwiches. What are the odds that Jesus' teachings are true to the intent after 2,000 years? That the the longest game of telephone ever. Sparky boy, transhumanists, they are not God. But they think they are. They, they are trying they are. to be. They are trying to kill God. And, not replace God. They are trying to kill God. And, and you know what the fucked up part is too, Sparky? And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this outright, because I believe this. And although my brother is involved in it, and I love my brother. Even though if he hates me, I still love him. He's my brother. We still, as as much as I I hate him and I want to hate him, still have to love him because he's my brother. He's blood. Blood is always thicker than water. But one of the biggest things that I don't like about my brother, and I will tell him this to his face, I will tell it to you all here, is his work and what he does. Because I believe that that is transhumanism. I believe there are parts of that, that you are trying to say that mankind now can create something just as good as God did. So under, understand what I'm saying. I'm being very critical. Of well, this. tell people what your brother does. My, my brother designs uh, prosthetics for soldiers. 
specifically for soldiers, soldiers that lost limbs traumatically. Uh, 90% of the soldiers, uh, they're very healthy. They're in very good shape. But the, the thing he's designed is essentially a robot knee, a robotic knee that senses electrical impulses within your nub. So if you lose your leg, if you think about you lose your leg above the knee, so we're talking above the above the knee amputations, everybody that lost their leg above the knee. And don't get me wrong. I've seen all the words and all the people that said, you know, my brother changed their lives. I, I don't argue that. I don't argue that whatsoever. And I, I, I believe that that in and out of itself is an amazing thing. And I'm glad he could help as many people as he has. However, at the same time, I also believe that you're developing something that works the same way as the bottom part of my leg. And that's exactly how he sold it. He sold it on that thought that it works exactly like your leg if it were still attached to you. Because, because it connects it, to your brain. It connects your nerves. It can feel your nerve stimulations. It can sense the electrical impulses from nerve stimulation which is a connection to the human body to, and I, 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 it's not real. It's a, how do you separate the body from the soul before death? What do you call that? What, what do you call something that is not real, but that's attached to you? An appendage. This is an appendage that's supposed to work just like the real appendage that God made for you. Who are you? to take God's design and make something that works the same way. When do you, because it has. If you think about the complications that can come from that, you're talking about being able to build a human being based on electrical impulses that it takes from what the brain? Yeah. Oh, what, From nerves? It, it can very quickly jump to where it's not just someone that lost a limb in combat, but that someone is giving up a limb in order to have a, a robot arm, an artificial exactly. arm. It, it, it becomes a weapon. It, in and out of itself becomes better than what God made. Yeah. Because this limb does outperform all the others. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't it, get it tired. It doesn't tear muscles. Exactly. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't cramp up. It, yeah. It outperforms everything to include your leg if you had it still. Yeah, exactly. Like you and I would get a cramp in our calf every once in a while and mm -hmm. go, oh shit, that yeah. hurts. That's God telling us, hey, slow the fuck down, asshole. Yeah. Or hey, instead, you need to eat a banana. Instead, now the leg's just not there and it mm -hmm. just operates, period, without God saying anything. Mm -hmm. So although I agree with what he's done, I agree that the work he's doing is making a difference because now you're taking somebody who lost something and you're giving them something that they never had in turn. I agree. There is something there that he is doing. However, at the same time, I see a problem with it because if we as people don't take measure of what we're doing as people, like the really smart people, they do a lot of smart shit, but they never ask the question in the beginning, should, should we? we do it? Not will we do it or do we do it? Should we do it? They don't ask that question. The same people that developed the nuclear bomb, 
are the same people now that are developing limbs for wounded soldiers that are acting the same way a normal limb would act. Or better. Or better. The real question again is, should we do it? Not whether we do it or not, but should we do it? Should we make that limb? Should we make that human being better? As good as it is. And uh, all right. So Chewy44 said, sorry, this argument is pretty ignorant. Helping a vet walk again has zero to do with transhumanism. You don't understand the point of the argument. It's not about helping a vet walk again. We're all about helping vets walk again. Fuck, Mick, I hope more vets yes, walk again Mick from did it. 21 years in the service. He did 19 combat tours. He is 100% disabled. Actually, he's per the military, if you add it all up, like 738 well, Okay, 368% disabled. So it's not about helping that vet walk again. It's about designing the technology that's better than what God, what God put on made the earth you to begin with. That is transhumanism because then it is so easy to go right down that slippery slope to the bottom where you're cutting off limbs in order to replace them with technology. That is transhumanism. That is what we're talking about. For instance, uh, DC Comics, I think, did it the best with uh, the one dude, the guy, the kid, and his father. Was Chewy, this is, uh, you didn't listen. Again, it, Nick's brother literally designs these prosthetics that are more than prosthetics. They are physical, physical better. They are better than what God made you because now we don't think they're better. However, as far as what they can do, we just, we talked about it. They don't get tired. You don't get cramps, nothing like that. So if a soldier say a soldier decided to sign up for, for a new program with this, artificial exoskeleton, but it's not artificial because it replaces your limbs. So they cut off your arms and your legs and they replace it with robot arms and legs. Would that not be transhumanism? Is that, that is not transhumanism? literally what his brother is currently designing. Do they heal and fix themselves? I, I don't know if they heal and fix themselves, but what I do know, they don't cramp like normal muscles do. They don't act like normal muscles do. For instance, you and I get lethargic. This leg doesn't get tired. For instance, I know people who have the leg. I'm not arguing that it's good for people to have it. I agree with that. My point is, is that it acts better than your leg. So when our legs get tired or when I get tired or I have a cramp, I have to stop. This leg won't. So what happens when we're all that way? What happens when they cut our limbs off to put these things on? Because now we're some Terminator shit. Exactly. Now we're Terminators. What the fuck changes us? What free will, right? Or your soul. Everybody says it's your soul or free will. Okay, fine. Well, if you want to believe it's free will in your soul, that's fine. But what happens when 90% of your body's a robot? At what point? Does Where do your... you lose your free will and your soul? Yeah. That's my question. I, I just think all of this shit is relevant to this question and to what this guy produces. That's all. I'm not arguing one way or the yep. other for or against transhumanism. I'm not. I just believe that there's going to be a time in our lives where we're going to have to decide that maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah, it would help us. It would make our lives that much easier.
but maybe we shouldn't do this because God's trying to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe your lives shouldn't be that easy. Yeah. Maybe we're supposed to suffer just a little bit. Yeah. Everybody's just a little bit. We're supposed to suffer. You can't appreciate the good unless you've experienced the the bad. bad. Anyway, let's go back to this this guy because we went a little bit off the rails there. Yes, we did. My bad. I've actually heard some people say that this bizarre footage that I'm about to show you is a recording of these fallen angels. I'm not so sure about that, but I do know one thing. This river certainly holds many spiritual secrets. And when this river dries up, four angels, four angels who once shared heaven, four angels who've been chained under the surface of this water for thousands of years, four angels who've had the longest jail sentence, will one day be released and when they are free it will not be very pretty for mankind why is it so bad because when these four angels are released they will be the captain of this huge eastern army and the bible says they will be given the power to wipe out one third of all of mankind So if we add up all of the judgments in Revelation, all of the terrible things that are going to happen in the tribulation so far, that means that 50% of the population will be gone. And if that was to happen right now today, that would mean that over 4 billion souls would be eliminated. Real quick, 4 billion souls will be eliminated just like that. Think about where we're at right now with... 36% excess mortality in millennials um, with their estimating right now, conservative estimates is that we currently have 2 billion dead from the jab already. We already have 2 billion dead. Overnight. I wonder now, is anybody pondering the same question that I am? Who are these four fallen angels? What is their identity? Well, personally, I believe these are the same fallen angels that are described in the book of Jude. These are the same angels who are talked about in 2 Peter chapter 2, who went in because they saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. They went into those women and they had wicked, evil relationships. And from these relationships came these hybrid creatures, which you know I've talked about in great detail in this video here. And then, because God saw this, he was angry with the sons of men, so he flooded the earth. But what did he do with these angels? Well, the scripture says he put them in chains of gloomy darkness. What was the reason for it? Because they left their boundaries. And what does the river Euphrates represent? boundaries. So could it be the gloomy darkness that these fallen angels are trapped in is below the dark waters of the Euphrates? And when that water is dried up, they will be free. And they've had a lot of time to think. They've had a lot of time to get bitter. And when they're released, mankind will see the wrath of these angels. Before I show you this rather peculiar footage, I need to take you on a little bit of a diversion first. I need to show you another spiritual river which holds a great deal of significance in the Bible. What river am I talking about? The river Jordan. Come with me now. Set your eyes upon a successful man, a man of caliber, a five-star general, a man who was the captain of the entire Syrian army, a man called Naaman. Now Naaman, as successful and as powerful as he was, he had one problem. He had something called 
leprosy. Leprosy was a terrible thing to have. If you had it, it covered your body in sores and even your limbs were destroyed eventually by this terrible illness. And if you had it, if you had leprosy, you were sort of a castaway. You were ostracized from society and every time you approach people, you had to shout at the top of your voice, unclean, unclean, so people knew to keep their distance from you. Believe it or not, I can empathize a lot with Naaman. There are times in my life where I want to shout out, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. For instance, when I'm at church. Now, for instance, he's talking about this. This was made before COVID. This movie was, or this video was made before COVID. Think about that today. Think about what that six foot of social distancing was supposed to do. Now put all that together with what he's talking about here. Unclean, unclean. Think about it. Did we not just go through this? Did we not just deal with this one thing right here? Did we not just talk about how unclean it is for you to be if you have COVID? Oh, it's unclean, unclean. Think about it in that aspect. Think about what he's saying there in that aspect. Think about that today. It's not only physical separation or psychological separation. He's you're talking about separating people from God. You're talking about separating people and their beliefs at the most basic level. Showing up in a church, going to church. That's a basic level. Just saying. Something to think about. I feel like I'm wearing this invisible cloak of sin and when the men, the elders, come round to offer me the Lord's Supper, sometimes I feel like saying, keep it away from me, I'm not worthy to take it. Sometimes when I make these videos, I feel like I'm the last person on earth who should be filming Christian videos and telling people to obey the word of God. And I want to shout to you all, unclean, unclean. And of course, at times, perhaps you've known this too, when we bow in the presence before our holy, holy God, and we come before him, we want to say, God, stay back because I'm unclean, I'm unclean. But praise God that we serve a God who does not keep two meters apart from us. He does not distance himself from us. The more we say we're unclean, the more he just draws closer and wraps his arms of forgiveness around us. So here we have this army general, Naaman, who had everything going for him, but there was one thing that was messing up his life. And I wonder, if I ask you, what is the one thing that is ruining your life? What is your own kind of leprosy? What would you say? I wonder if I asked you the question, are you a public success, but a private failure? What goes through your mind as I ask you that question? Well, I think we could learn a lesson from Naaman. You see, Naaman took steps to address his issue and he sought help from another, from the prophet Elisha. I don't know if this goes through your mind, but I like to picture things when I read the Bible. And I picture this great big army general with a band of men kind of embarrassed as he's standing outside what would probably be a little house. And he knocks on the door and he says, hello. Hello, I'm here to see, um, I'm here to see the prophet Elisha because I've got an issue. 
I've got leprosy and I need to be made clean. I need to be healed. Now, Elisha didn't even answer the door. In fact, he sent a messenger and said through the messenger, tell Naaman to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. Now, you could imagine this is a big man. This is the big cheese. This is Naaman and he's getting really angry now. This prophet of Israel will not even come to speak to me himself. Does he not know who I am? And he's told me to wash in the river Jordan, that filthy river. In my country, in my land, there are two fresh flowing rivers in the Damascus. Why can't I wash in them? Why the dirty river Jordan? No, Naaman, you must wash in the Jordan. So Naaman didn't have any other choice. He humbled himself. And again, just look at him, see him there standing at the edge of the river Jordan. I can imagine him sort of pinching his nose as he looks at that repugnant water, as he sees the siltiness. And then he dips his toes in and he begins to wash himself once, twice, three, four, five, six. And then on the seventh time when he submerged his body, he was made whole. He was made clean. In fact, the Bible says he wasn't just made better, but his skin went like the skin of a child. His skin went like he was back in infancy. Every single one of us has our own type of leprosy. It's called sin. And sin is the one thing that ruins us. Sin is the one thing that will drag us down to hell, that will cause our death, that ruins our lives, that ruins our relationships, that ruins the world we live in. And sin needs dealing with. But many of you, just like Naaman, 99% of the people in this world, like Naaman, think I can deal with my issue on my own. Religion will deal with my sin problem. Reform will deal with my sin problem. Being a good person, that's the way I get to heaven. I don't need this answer. You mean you're going to tell me the only way to be saved is through this man, Jesus? You're going to tell me the only way to be saved is to dip myself in this river, in the river of forgiveness, Jesus Christ's blood? Well, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. The only way to be saved is through this man, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross 2,000 years ago. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, many of you, you work hard every week and you get a wage for your job, for your career. Every year you get a salary. And the Bible says that we are workers of iniquity and every day we're working up a wage for our sin. And that wage is death. And that's why Jesus Christ on the cross died for us. And that is the only way for us to be forgiven and to have our sin problem dealt with. But will you, like Naaman, see that you have no other choice? And will you humble yourself? And will you come to the Jordan River and have your sins washed away? Will you come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and come and be forgiven and cleansed and washed clean? Because I can't put it any better than William Cowper when he wrote these words in this beautiful hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Guys, you've been so patient. Here's that bizarre footage that I promised you. people.
people are saying that these strange sounds that were heard at the Euphrates are very similar to the strange sounds that were being heard worldwide. And in this video, you can hear them right now. All right, so that was that video. I'm going to go play this one because people are saying they've heard this all over the world. Uh, we, we downloaded that directly, so you're... Oh, I'm going to have to go actually to the video. Hold on. Yeah, I can get to it in right. a second. We'll figure that out. Mm -hmm. Give us one second. But that, those sounds, let me go back to that video, though, because that was fucking freaky. Uh, and he goes off on a tangent, and I got to give him this. It At the end, at first, I was like, man, there's no way he's going to connect these two things. And then he did, and I was like, holy shit. All right, that was pretty cool. Um, hold on, though. Let me go back to this. All right, so real quick, this video at the end right here, they get to these sounds. These are all taken along. This is all from the Euphrates River Valley where the water's already subsided. They found weird catacombs, weird things in the side of the rock below the Euphrates River Valley. This is a little odd. So I was like, at first I was like, that's bullshit. There's no way that those oh, sounds are that guilty thing. There's, there's no Guys, way there's so no way that that's the sounds that they, they heard. shit it it sounds i i mean to me i don't know about you some of that shit sounds demonic as fuck yeah it does i i'm like whoa and even i i don't like that shit when i hear shit like that that's who yeah that's that's, some crazy stuff right there that, that doesn't sound good um i believe uh i think it was joni and okc who said that those the the angels that are um locked up under the euphrates are depraved I think that would be a good way to put it. That would be accurate. From that sound, I mean, I'm just saying. Yes. Camels having a schlong um, or a shag. Oh, camels having a shag. It's possible. I it, Is anything possible? Absolutely. The fact that the Euphrates dried up and now we hear these weird noises coming out from the bottom of it let me give us yeah there they're downloading it. i got you we're downloading the other videos because i want you to hear the other video because that's really freaky shit but it's the same shit skinwalker ranch mm -hmm. all right uh if you've been watching any parts of the bit of skinwalker skinwalker ranch mm -hmm. they went into one part of a mountain there and they threw a smoke grenade down it and they wanted to see where the smoke came up and the smoke grenade that covered the end of where this cavern was and the wind blew through and it started coming up out of the water, like bubbles started coming up out of the water, popping with this purple smoke. And they were like, Hey, there's a cavern under here. So they pumped the water. When they pumped the water out of the cavern, they heard the same, almost the exact same noises, almost to the whole okay and like where it was mm -hmm. like speaking almost they heard the same thing mm -hmm. i almost wonder is this the nephilim that could very well be could this be uh a nephilim sighting where they've 
hit possibly a tube that takes us to center earth well, let's, or hollow earth. Let's see what the other two uh, videos show. They're done. Oh, they're done. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just wonder. Oh, let me see here. All right, I'm going to pull this over here. So and uh, Chewy, all right, calling the claim that 2 billion people have suddenly died and no one noticed isn't done uh, out of being bothered. It should be pretty obvious. You would think so. Um, you know, we've had 12 people die in our neighborhood in the past year since we've moved here out of less than 100 people. Yeah. Um, there are, we've had a million dead from COVID. And then by January of 2024, we're going to have at least another million dead from just from the lockdowns COVID and all the COVID intervention, all the interventions. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Suicides, fentanyl, et cetera. Um, the excess mortality. I mean, we have we have lost we have lost more people between the ages of 18 and 34. So millennials in the past year than everybody that died in Vietnam. Right now, millennials are kicking ass in the fastest way to the grave. I mean, right now, millennials are yeah, not, yeah. not because not all the old people it should be died. my generation. No, and all the, the elderly have pretty much died. Yeah, they're done. Right? Well, two generations gone. Yeah, and and the Vietnam generation. There's there honestly, there's not, there's not many left. There's not a lot left no. between every Agent Orange and all the other shit that yeah. the Vietnam generation went through. There's not a lot left. So I mean, right right off the bat. <clears throat> I mean, they're saying there's like, I mean, there are 2 billion people that have been injured just by the COVID vaccines, like significantly detrimental to their life injured by the COVID vaccines. I count those people as dead because Quite, uh, well, they technically no, you can't, but not yet, but I count them as well. All right. I don't count them as dead right now, but I count them as they they'll be part of that 4 billion. Yeah. Because oh, easy. I mean, they, they, they have little, for, little to no chance of survival for the next two years for everything we've heard about what's going on with them. Yes. We've heard there's little to no chance of survival. Forget that. Let's go with chance of survival. Mm -hmm. Their chances have been cut a third just because they had the jab. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell and you Chewy, those estimates that 2 billion dead estimate around the world actually wasn't, that's not coming from me. That's coming from a number of doctors that we speak to and listen to. Yes. So that like, I don't pull these numbers out of my ass. Like these are coming from these are doctors, analysts, that, um, that are people, saying, hey, look. people that sit down and, and compile all of the data, what little that they let out across the world. We get most of the data out of the, the UK, UK. Um, and and some out of Israel as well. But you just take VARES. VARES is a 1% reporting rate. That's historically acknowledged. Of 300 what million people that mm -hmm. are here in the US, yeah. there are 1%. 1% of 300 million is how much? 10,000? 10, 10, it's not a million. What? 1% of 300 yeah. million? It's not a million. Three, 3 million. Oh, 3 million. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. 3 million people. So 3 million people have reported to VAERS. Hmm. 
No, no, a one percent reporting rate meaning it's underreported by ninety nine percent. Correct. So only one out of one hundred so injuries is actually three million, reported. Three million reports. Mm-hmm. You know, you so get one right injury. now. I I think there's two hundred and fifty thousand dead in bears from the jab. Correct. Right. So if that's a one percent reporting rate, right there, you're looking at two and a half million across the United States. Easy. So I'm just saying. Just saying. It's craziness. Yeah. So what is this guy? So okay. this is the other sounds. Yep. Fallen angels returning is what this is called. But this is interesting. Have you ever wondered what happens if biblical prophecy actually comes true? We're going to cover that today. Well, here we are. End time prophecy coming true. Possibly. A couple of days ago, I was actually on Instagram and I was doing an Instagram live and somebody actually asked me what I thought about the Euphrates River. And I was like, I, I don't know. I think it's uh, flowing nice and strong these days. Well, I was wrong. And then I found out that when I was listening to Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero, he kind of went into more depth as to what was going on with the Euphrates River that my listener was trying to tell me about. It turns out the Euphrates River is not running strong. It is actually almost bone dry in certain points. And that is leading to some very peculiar situations when it comes to biblical prophecy. You see, in Revelation 16, 12, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the river thereof was dried up that the way of the king of the east might be prepared. Now, who would be the king of the east? I don't know. There's a lot of countries east, but one is kind of getting, let's say, a little rowdy. And so we don't know exactly who or what country that is. But one thing's for sure, it says the great river Euphrates. The angel poured out his vial upon it and the water was dried up. And here we are in 2022 and the river Euphrates is starting to dry up. And that's starting to give us uh, some interesting things happening out there. Not just the water being dried up, but What's underneath Euphrates? You see, it turns out that when the Euphrates River goes down and it dries up, you kind of tend to find things that you didn't know were really there, including possible caves and things that kind of look like jail cells. And so why would there be caves or jail cells under the Euphrates River? Well, let me tell you, it turns out that there's more biblical prophecy in Revelation talking about fallen angels, specifically four of them that are chained and bound underneath the Euphrates River waiting to be released at a set time. You see, in Revelations 9.13, it says, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. Verse 14, And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all people on earth. Well, that's terrifying. You see, I really do believe biblical prophecy. I think that we have seen biblical prophecy come through throughout our entire lifetimes and throughout history. And I am willing to bet that this is one of those situations that might be coming true. You see, recently with the waters receding in the Euphrates, people have been kind of getting down in those areas where those caves and what seem like possible jail cells are, and they're bringing audio recorders. And what they're finding through the audio are moans and groans and growls and sounds like chains, like something's locked up. You think I'm kidding. I'm not.
Well, there you have it. Those are the. All I can say is in the initial one, they never said anything about chains. Yeah. In this one, he talks about chains. And that can makes hear him. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Because when I heard this originally, I heard the chains, but he didn't say anything about chains. Mm -hmm. This one, he talked about chains. I didn't. You know, I didn't even relate the two. Yep. Now I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fucking chains bigger yeah, than shit. I, I don't give a fuck who you are. This is weird. The fact that you hear this coming out of the Euphrates now. Well, play the next one because it's not just the Euphrates. Apparently it's around the world. Okay. I'll well, play the next one. Give me a minute. I mean, flip, flip videos here. Because mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to find the other one. It should be the top. Mm -hmm. There you go. It's over there. Well, here. No, that's the same one that we watched. We already we already heard this. Oh, okay. That's the same one we already listened to. Yeah, yeah. That is not it. So then, strange sounds being heard all over the world. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I thought we played that one already. No, nope. I, I was almost positive. We no, played that's the already. that I. <clears throat> no, that's a new one. Okay, I think so. Well, we're gonna try this one. Yeah. If it's the same one, then I'm wrong. But if not, then I'm right. But... Did you feel that? So. Been hearing some strange noises outside now for a bit. I'll open the window to show you. It's really strange. Listen. It's not an animal, is it? just made that sound did you hear a loud boom earlier today several people heard and felt a loud noise around 12 30 central time this afternoon all over carter county took to social media about a loud boom that shook their homes and workplaces around 10 15 this morning so i ran to the back door and looked out but i didn't see anything we've heard jesus is coming um <laughs> We've heard lots of things. In Sweden, this sure sounds like a trumpet. In Michigan, another trumpet-like sound. And are there any other potential explanations for what these people are calling skyquakes? Well, the problem I have with there being other explanations is the amount of energy required to create that kind of sound is beyond some guy out in the woods. The most powerful radio stations in the United States, I think they're 50,000 watts. And the amount of power that HARP has, it puts out that is published is around 3 million watts. It'd be very difficult to duplicate it. enough power. One popular explanation for all of these strange sounds being heard around the world is some people believe they are angels. They are the seven angels sounding the seven trumpets, which is talked about in Revelation. Now, before I tell you whether I believe these are the seven angels, first, we need to know just what are these seven trumpets. And I promise you this, it will scare some of you. It will scare some of you very greatly.
when the first angel sounds his trumpet, hailstones and fireballs mingled with blood will be cast down to earth, and 33% of all the world's trees will be burned up, and so will the green grass. It will be no more. When the second angel sounds his trumpet, a large big mountain on fire, something huge will fall from the sky and fall straight down into the sea. At that very moment, the sea will be turned to blood, just like in the days of Moses, and millions and millions of sea creatures will die, and a third of all the world's ships will be sunk. Now let me ask you a question. Does that sound like those strange sounds that we've been hearing very recently? Well, before we make a clear decision, let's first consider this mind-blowing fact. When the third angel sounds his trumpet, the Bible says a vast, huge star will come crashing down to the earth and will pollute many of the waters of the earth. Many of the fresh water systems will taste bitter. What is the name of this star? It's called Wormwood. But if you have a Ukrainian Bible in front of you, some translations of the Ukrainian Bible say this word, Wormwood, can also mean Chernobyl. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that? Very interesting. And if you visit Chernobyl for any reason you decide to go there, if you stand in the town centre, there you will find the Chernobyl Star Memorial. What is the Chernobyl Star Memorial? Well, it's an angel blowing a trumpet. But we're going to come back to that in a moment's time. When the fourth angel sounds his trumpet, the Bible says that the third of the light that is given out by the sun, the moon and the stars will be darkened. It's almost as if God has said to the people, okay, for your whole life you've said, I choose darkness over the light of Christ. I choose my sin and to hide in the shadows over being in the light of God's word. If you want to live like that, fine, you can have darkness. And some Bible commentators believe that this particular judgment could be describing a nuclear winter, where literally millions and millions of tons of soot have been emitted into the stratosphere that it's nearly impossible for direct sunlight to reach down to earth. And things get colder, things get darker, crops begin to fail, and people find it very hard to survive. But over to you. What do you think? Do you think so far that these trumpets are sounding like the same sounds that people have been hearing around the world recently? Well, before I reveal to you my answer on all of this, first, you must know this. The Bible says that just after the fourth trumpet sounds, an angel or an eagle in other translations will fly across the earth and say, these last four trumpets, they've been nothing compared to what is about to come. These last three trumpets will bring Break the earth and destroy it and change it more than anything else you have ever seen. When the fifth angel sounds his trumpet, the Bible says, John says, I saw a star fallen from heaven. This is the same star that Jesus said, I saw Lucifer fall like lightning from heaven. Lucifer, the morning star. And then Jesus will meet Lucifer, it says, and Christ, the one who holds the key to death and Hades, will hand over that key to Lucifer and he will give him permission to open up the bottomless pit. The darkest, worst part of hell will be open. This is the same place when Jesus, when he met that demon-possessed man and he cast the demons out of that man, those demons begged Jesus and said, please do not send us down into the abyss. So instead, Christ 
thrust them into a herd of pigs. This is the same abyss, this is the same dark place that in Genesis 3 we read about these fallen angels who left their boundaries and did wicked things with human beings and they were cast down into this bottomless pit, bound into chains of gloomy darkness. And Lucifer is going to open this bottomless pit and out will come a demonic army of locusts. These locusts will cause agony on all the men and women of the earth. So much so that all these men and women who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ will cry out and say, let us die. We long for death, but death will flee them. And for five months, these men and women will be tortured by this wicked, cruel, seductive army of locusts. And they only obey one master. Their captain is Apollyon, the devil, Lucifer himself. When the sixth angel sounds his trumpet, a vast army of 200 million people will begin marching to Armageddon. And this is incredible again, because when John was writing this thousands of years ago, there wasn't even 200 million people on the face of the earth. But God showed John the future and showed him the largest army that would ever be. And at the same time, at the river Euphrates in Babylon itself, four terrifying angels are going to be set free. They're going to be set loose to eliminate a third of all mankind. All the men and women who have chosen to make allegiance with Babylon, who have said, I want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, who have put their trust in the epicenter of evilness itself, they will be removed from the face of the earth. Okay, in just a moment's time, we're going to discover whether these strange sounds are the same trumpet sounds in Revelation. But First, let's hear from the final angel. When the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, the kingdoms of this world will evaporate and Christ's kingdom will reign forevermore. The Antichrist, the false prophet, loose for himself, will all be crushed and hell will be their destination for all of eternity. And then the Bible says something beautiful. It says almost as if the curtains of heaven will be open and there we will see the temple of God, the true Ark of the Covenant, and there God's people will fall on their face, will be in awe. The 24 elders will work worship the Son of God and there we will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. So, hey now, I said to you, I would tell you whether I thought these strange sounds that are being heard in the sky, whether they are the same as the seven trumpets in Revelation. Now, I could be totally wrong about this. Again, I say that as I say in every video, but personally, I don't see the evidence for it to stand up to that massive claim. Because when we look at these seven trumpets and we see the wrath of God and how terrible it's going to be, we haven't seen anything yet. We might think that the world we live in is bad and dreadful now. But the truth is this, this is a picnic compared to what God is going to bring down on this world to all those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, that's why I desperately want to take you back to the third angel. I want you to think about this particular word, Wormwood or Chernobyl in other translations. This great big star turned the sweet waters into bitterness. But when we look at the life of Moses, we see things things the opposite way round. You see, Moses, when he delivered the people of Israel, through the Lord's power of course, when he brought them out of Egypt, after three days the people of Israel began to complain. They began to threaten Moses and say, give us something to drink. And so Moses eventually led them to this vast pool of water called Marah. And the people were so excited, they ran down to the water and they began to drink of this water because they were so thirsty. 
until they spat it out, realising that these waters were just nothing more than bitterness. It was a bitter kind of water. So then Moses cried out to the Lord, Lord, how do I help this people? What do I do? And God set his eyes upon a tree. So Moses picked up that tree and he threw it into the waters of Marah. And suddenly those waters of bitterness turned to sweetness. And my dear precious believer, isn't that a beautiful picture of the cross? The Lord Jesus Christ who hung on a tree for our forgiveness, who takes us out of all of that bitter water that we drink so often, that unclean water, the impure things we drink, the impure things that we bathe ourselves in, and instead he leads us to his living water and allows us to drink his sweet, precious water and gives us eternal life, those flowing rivers of eternal life. But again, that word wormwood is screaming out to me because when we read David's messianic Psalms, we hear the Lord Jesus Christ speaking of his crucifixion. He says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Here is the mighty God of the universe, and yet he's willing to condescend, to come down to be nothing but a weak, despised worm. I mean, think about it. Does anyone feel guilty about standing on a worm that's crawling across a path? No, worms are seen as nothing, and yet Jesus did that to ensure that you and I might have a salvation. Now, perhaps you didn't know this, but in the animal kingdom, there's the most fascinating creature called the scarlet worm. And what this worm does is when it wants to give birth, it ties itself to a tree. And as it lays its eggs, it dies. But at the same time as dying, it secretes a, a crimson red dye, which stains the tree red. And because this dye is so bright, it's so vibrant, native people around, they would collect the worms, they would collect the eggs, and they would use it as a way of staining and dyeing their own clothes, as a way of selling them on and having nice, brightly red coloured clothing. And just like the scarlet worm, Jesus Christ, his blood stained the wood red. His blood was poured out for many on that cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And just like that worm dies so it might give life to another, Jesus died so that he might give life to you, everlasting life. And my dear friend, if God was willing to let his son come into this world and to be tortured on that cross for your salvation, for your forgiveness, if he watched his son being crushed on the cross and enduring all of that for you, how do you think the almighty Father God will deal with you if you join the billions who trample on the Lord Jesus Christ and say, that salvation means nothing to me? Do you not think that you deserve the wrath? that is coming and all of that pain and suffering that we've just talked about before, that is why God is going to be so angry. So I plead with you right now, while the gentle Saviour has his arms open wide and said, I died for you, come, take this forgiveness, take this eternal life, I beg you to run into his arms because there will be a day when mercy is cut off. Okay, I did say to you that I was going to come back and tell you all about those fallen angels that we read about in Genesis 3. Well, if you want to hear probably my most shocking teaching on all of this channel, please watch this video here because you will be shocked by what these guys did. And if you haven't yet subscribed, please do consider... Wow, this guy's a fucking... Okay. Holy shit. Bible. He's a snake oil salesman. This yeah, guy is. Holy crap. You got, you got me down this video thinking...
Well, I didn't watch it either. He's got a great message, though. I I give him this. He's got a great message. He talks about it in a very, I think, circumstantial and circumspect way where he looks at it from essentially where we're at. But understand that I think the biggest downfall to mankind, and if there is a downfall to mankind, is organized religion. Mm-hmm. And by far, that has to be the biggest of all. Because why do we believe one thing? We believe one thing because one person told us to believe that. Yeah. Why? No, it was, it was designed to divide us. Divinity in and out of itself should be known amongst man. I mean, mm-hmm. we were div- we were divinely raised. We were divinely found. We were divinely inspired. <laughs> I, I would think divinity itself would show itself to us when the time is right. And it's a personal relationship with God. I, I, I don't think a building tells you exactly what you believe or a person. No. So or a book. I agree with all of that, but this guy, wow. He went down that road quick. Good dude though. He still tells a good story. I like his stories. I think his stories are humbling. So CLB said horrible things will be done to those that don't believe, but that can all be avoided by simply believing. Yes, but it's not simple. It's true belief. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not simple. It's like, <clears throat> do you have children, Sylvie? Um, have you, have you carried a child in your womb, felt it grow, get bigger, kick, move around? develop a personality? Do you love that baby, that child, even before you met it, even before you gave birth? And if you didn't give birth, if you lost that child, did that love go away? When you were, when you were little, when you were young, before there was an opportunity for you to get pregnant and and have a child and give birth but you treasured the idea of being a mother later on. Do you already love that baby then before it was even conceived before you'd even met its father, that, that love, that pure love for a child that you haven't even had yet, haven't felt, haven't, conceived, haven't, haven't tried for that pure love, that faith, that knowing that's, that's what it's like. That's the closest I can describe it. I would not having done that myself, I would have to, I cannot argue. Therefore my sex prevents me from seeing that. Or understanding that theory. That's the only way it, in my personal experience, that's the closest way that I can describe the same feeling that I have having found my faith, having come to truly love God and Jesus. The closest thing I can, I can relate that to is my love for my children before I even had them. It's 2022. Yeah. Now's the time. It is. I don't know what for, but sure. It is the time to feel something or to 
take a shit. I don't know which. <laughs> Birthy persons unite. Come together. <laughs> we all have our rings. Wow. All right. Well, Where's Captain? Su oh, it was Captain Super Eight that brought that up. <laughs> it's like Captain America. Birthy persons unite. Oh. And all our rings of birthing perpetuity. We well, unite and we become one birthing person. We talk a lot about on here in general on the show about being prepared, about preparing for the future, about stocking up on food and water and, and, and all of that. And, uh, and we say, you know, I mean, what, what harm does it do? Right. If you go buy a bunch of extra food and if the shit doesn't hit the fan, then you've got a bunch of extra food. That's probably cheaper than it will be in the grocery store later. Right. True. So what's the problem having a little bit more faith. Exactly. If, Just a little if, bit. if, if we are, if we are coming in, if we are in the little time of trouble, if we are coming into the end times, if we are going to be living through revelations as I believe that we are, that's my belief. That's my faith. And I believe that we are going to live through revelations, whether or not y'all do. I, I, I can't say, I don't know, but if you do, if it happens, does it hurt to be prepared? And how do you prepare for this? How do you prepare for how do you prepare for the, the end, end of time? time? How do you do it? Do you get your end of time supply kit? <laughs> I called Mike Lindell. He told me he didn't have one. I asked actually, him. Actually, I think Mike Lindell would probably have one if anyone would. Yeah, actually, Mike <laughs> Lindell probably would. It'd probably come with like a little vial of holy water yes. too. And like a little wafer that you might have to eat mm -hmm. just in case. It yeah. might go, oh shit. But, oh, I thought it was but, pregnant. But, oh, it was cat oh, super oh. eights. There it is. It was constipation. I thought he said cat super eights at first. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. I thought I was pregnant. Oh, it was cat super eights. My but bad. really, how do you how do you prepare for the possibility of the end of time? A PDF to Mick. How do you send a PDF? Uh, Life of Brian. It is mickvlin at gmail.com mm -hmm. if you'd like, sir. I, that is... Paper chart of the Phoenix events. Okay. I think I've heard of this before. Cool. Well, how, how do you prepare for the end of times? Well, listen. Listen. You hear. And you have faith. And read the Bible. Read the Bible backwards and forwards. Read it for yourself. Don't take someone else's interpretation. Don't, and you know, our, our Bible, we have many here, but, um, this one, this one has a study guide. I ignore the study guide. I don't get, I don't give a fuck what someone else says about what the Bible says. I want to read the Bible and see what it says to me. Um, but on the armor of God, what does that mean? That means that, as we discussed, God will help you. God will forgive you. God will be your best protector, your biggest defender. But you have to ask. You can't assume. You have to ask for help. So one way to prepare is to learn how to ask for help. That's really hard for a lot of people. It's really hard for a lot of people to learn how to ask for help, to ask for any kind of help. And asking God for help is a really big deal because you have to mean it. You have to really ask. So start, start little, ask someone for help. You know, even if you don't need it, if you ask someone else 
for help, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel appreciated. It makes them feel like you value their opinion. You value their, their worth, their, what they can do, their talents, ask for help. And as you learn how to ask for help, you will, you'll learn how to ask God for help. Talk to God. That has a lot to do with listening, actually. No, no, no. Asking for help has a lot to do with listening? Yes. Okay. It really does. Just saying, explain it. So I was talking about asking someone for help even if you don't need help. Well, in that situation, you're going to ask someone for help based on what they need, not based on what you need. How can you know what they need unless you listen? There you go. A little wafer. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that you need to go to church and participate in communion. That's just me. I believe that you can have communion at home. I I don't think it needs to be something out of church. If it makes you feel better to go to church as it does a lot of people, then by all means, I encourage you to go to church, do what makes you feel better about your relationship with God. Because it's your relationship. Yeah, for God's sakes, don't listen to us. Yeah. We're not telling you what to do. We're just telling you that this is what we do. Mm-hmm. We're not crazy. Do what makes you feel good about well, it. We don't think we're crazy. At well, least. you know what? We might be fucking nuts. Who cares? It's a good chance. Uh, absolutely. I think there's always a chance of being psycho. But fuck, do do what you and, do. And yeah, and Latoya, you're right. Don't listen to grifters. And that's, that, that's the last thing. Learn discernment. Yeah. Learn discernment. You really have to figure out what's true and what's not. And, and there's, there's a little piece inside of you, a little, a little piece of, of your soul. It's, it's your internal lie detector. Everyone has one. Some of them are really rusty. Some people just shut that shit off and they believe everything that's, that they ever read, see, or hear. And some of them, some of them, it's it's tuned so finely, tightly Acutely, that yeah. they don't believe anybody. They don't. They don't hear anybody. But there, there's there's a there's a level, there's a balance. What's with rainbow dildo trails, trolls? Oh, mm. rainbow dildo trails. Okay, so, I don't know either. And yes, Ellsworth, the greatest temple is inside. So, and discernment again is listening. That's both listening with your ears and listening with your heart, listening with your soul, listening with God's ears. Hear what's true. You'll know. Trust yourself and trust God. Either way. And I think that's all I've got. Yeah, I think we're going to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So, yes. folks, tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern mm-hmm. Standard Time, 545. Patreon party starts uh, for the lounge, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liana's lounge, as she's come to call it. Um, either way, we will be back then. Uh, everybody else, good to see you. Glad everybody yep. made it. And to the new people, welcome. I see some new names I haven't seen before. Confusion, I've never seen you before. You're one of my new ones. Um, got a couple of them in here. Some kind of monster. How are you? Uh, Felicity Jill. I don't know who Felicity Jill is. That's a new one too. like that. like when we get new people. Mm-hmm. Either way, we will be back uh, again tomorrow night, 545, 6 p.m. The show starts. And uh, 
it'll be a, just a normal, I don't think we have anybody coming on, do we? No, because we, uh, we only do interviews on Tuesdays and That's Thursdays. Right. I, I pared it down because it was getting to be uh, quite a bit. We have uh, Dr. Saeed coming on on Tuesday, though. Okay. And um, and then next week's True Spiracy, we've got James Rogowski coming on um, about new, uh, you know, WHO tyrannical trying to take over the world shit. COVID shit. Yes. With the R RMB shit, the new RSV lockdown protocols that uh, are coming out. All, all, all kinds of new stuff coming out of the who trying to take away our freedom. RSV, but a, folks, you know, watch out order, for RSV. Government kind of thing. So, Sparky yeah. boy, you're going to be yeah. the first one to see it before us. I can tell you that right now. Watch out for RSV, dude. It's coming. They're going to say that RSV is just bad as COVID. But more to follow on that. We'll get into that tomorrow. Yep. Either way, for the Mick. And Lynn. We will see you later, fuckers. Oh, and don't forget to check out our website with all of our sponsors yeah, yeah, yeah. at uh, patriotpartypod.com. And uh, save 20% on your first order of our merchandise with promo code DEFIANT. Correct. And uh, part for the course on that mm -hmm. one, I'm like, share, subscribe. Yes. And uh, I'm going to have to do an angel t-shirt. For the Mick. And Lynn. We'll talk to you later, fuckers. Have a great night. Enjoy your Sunday night. And we'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. Thank <laughs> you.